Jack Sullivan has literally grown up knowing what life is like running a professional football club. Son of David Sullivan, he spent his early years at Birmingham City before the family moved to oversee huge change at the club I support, West Ham United, where he famously became the youngest football exec in the country. I, to be honest, I was this kid on Twitter who tweeted transfer news. A lot of the fans were like, is this joke type thing? And I was pretty fixated on proving people wrong. Whilst acutely aware of the hand he's been dealt in life, learning how to run a football club in the public eye hasn't always been plain sailing for Jack. Fans ran on the pitch and one of the fans threatened to slit my brother's throat. And that was, that was the day. How old was he at the time? Young, like two years older than me. I don't know how old he was. But that was the day my dad was like, we've got to go. Wow. Still a director at West Ham, as well as running his own businesses, Jack talks openly about the highs and the lows of his career so far and shares his thoughts on how a football club should be run. My dad's saying reputation lags behind reality, and I think that's really, really important. You need to make sure you don't listen to the vocal 10%, mm. don't listen to the non-vocal 90%. It's how you somehow gauge what everyone's thinking. Yeah. Unique, remember what makes you almost unique. Yeah. The nature of expectation yeah. and the nature of everyone is everyone always wants more. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of How to Run a Football Club. Got Jack Sullivan joining me today. His dad, of course, is the owner of West Ham United. He stands to inherit West Ham United. He's run the women's team. He's had a documentary series made about him. A really interesting guy. I've known him for a long time and I've got a lot of time for him. I hope you're going to enjoy this one. And if you do, please make sure you drop a like rating, a five-star rating, if you will, on whatever audio platform you're listening to us on. And also make sure you're following us as well. It helps us grow the podcast. Enjoy. Hello. Welcome to another episode of How to Run a Football Club. I'm buzzing to have this particular man here as a guest. His name is Jack Sullivan. He's a good friend of mine. Jack, I've been trying to think when we first met. Well, I know when we first met, but I think it was about 10 years ago, you know? Probably was about that. It was it. Uh, obviously, yeah, probably was about. It was Upton ago. Park. Upton Park. You, you and your brother absolutely sorted me and my brother out, and we got to play on the pitch. Do you remember? Yeah, well, not play on the pitch. We got to after a game. We went and did like a. We did a penalty shootout. The funny thing about that story, we were just talking about how I've injured my shoulder. You probably don't remember this, but I actually did that with a pulled hamstring. <laughs> I'd pulled my hamstring in a video with my missus, and I was like, I can't not do this. So I took a penalty with my left foot, I think. With my standing foot had a pulled hammy, but it was at Upton Park, so it was good fun. You have a much better memory than me, I'm yeah. honest with you. Well, you've probably made a lot of people's dreams come true. Like that was a that was a massive thing for me. But how are you, mate? Yeah, good. Good. Yeah. Um busy, but yeah, good overall. Can't complain too much. You're the busiest. Are you twenty-four now? Twenty-four now. Busiest twenty-four yeah. year old in the country, I reckon. Like what a interesting career you've already had. I want to get into it because obviously there's a lot of crossover with the fact that you're so synonymous with the club I've supported, West Ham, and all that history you've got there. I want to talk about that. But also, like, we have got a little bit of a parallel as well with, with particularly when you took over at the uh, women's team, and you know, that great series on the iPlayer, which I watched a lot, um, and BBC, being the youngest uh, sort of executive in football. Because I remember when, I, when we joined non-league, I thought, like, I must be one of the youngest chairman. I was, I think, 29, 30 at the time. And then you took 10 years off it. I was like, bloody hell. So it made me not feel so young anymore. But, I mean, yeah, like, let's talk about, like, your football experience already. Like, I mean, how has it been for you these last, what has it been? Probably about six, seven years that you've been sort of doing it kind of professionally, if you like? Yeah, so, yeah, probably involved since, or, like, heavily involved probably since I was 16. Well, um, that's so yeah, eight years now. Um, but obviously the highlight was 
last summer in with, with Prague. That was I think oh. for the whole family where we were where we've been involved since I was born and dad's been involved in football for I know seventeen and a half years at Birmingham and now I think we're coming on to thirteen or fourteen years at West Ham. Like that was the that was like the ultimate for us to like little pat on our pat on the back to say like and even for my dad to be like well done. So yeah. it was um it was it was nice for us and it was almost but I think all it has done is is made us hungry to do more and, and make more and and continue to strive forward and to to make sure we get to more finals really. And I think to be honest with you, I've I've seen the slight switch in the in the club since that final as well. Mm. That that everyone's now a lot more hungry to make sure that that everything gets pushed forward, which is which is really, really important for us all. Are you feeling that from the fans as well? Because like, you know, from a West Ham fan perspective, there's there's been moments, hasn't there, in, in the reign that you guys have been in charge where there's been some unrest, that famous moment with the thing on the pitch and as it you know, the was it Burnley? The Burnley game, all that sort of stuff. Like, I'll be honest, I've never really felt that way as a fan. And it's easy for me to say that because, you know, we're mates and all that stuff. But I'm being I've always been very honest about my time as a West Ham fan. Like I just look at it and I think all my good memories as a West Ham fan have come under your family's like stewardship of the club. Like I, I haven't got a short memory. I remember growing up relegations, relegations, you know, not I've had playoff final wins, first of all, which have always been my were my favourite mem memory until last year. You know, obviously Prague, but not even just the winning of that final. You know, we've I think we've got the best coefficient of like any English team at the moment in UEFA. I think like Man City might be in us. Oh, Man City yeah. Yeah, <laughs> certainly up there. But I mean in terms of consistency, I know we're up there with, you know, group stages for the last three years across Europa League, Conference League, back in Europa League this year. You know, we had one of the longest win streaks in European competition. Like this is West Ham United. And whilst it might seem normal to you because you've been aiming for that and working towards it, like I don't forget where we've come from. I think a lot of people did, but do you think that's starting to change? I feel like it is. I think look, expectation is is obviously the the hardest thing, and things change so quickly in football. Like people expect what happened last season. And yeah. To be honest, I think we're the same. Like we we expect that. Like we expect us to do the best we can. Like if we finished, I don't know. Last year is not a good example, but if we won something last year, I suppose why can't we go and get as close to that as possible this year type thing. I think we always try to do the best we can do. Um, I think, to be honest, since I think probably over the last five, six years, there's been a, there's been a slight change in, in how we as a club have, have positioned stuff and, and, and dealt with stuff and looked at stuff. Like I think the board have been a lot more quiet over the last five or six years and where previously there was a bit more vocal. And I think that was probably in hindsight, not, not the best, not the best thing to do. But I think recently it's been, it's been good. And we've tried to let our actions speak louder than our, than our words really. And I think when we moved to the stadium, we obviously had hopes of European football. We had hopes of all of these, all of these things. And it took probably slightly longer than we expected, but hopefully now we are, we are there or thereabouts. And we now also have the revenue streams that, which unfortunately is the reality of football now that yeah. we can now challenge at that that level and we can buy players like Kudos, Paqueta, um, Bowen, all of these amazing like Agurd, Zuma. We we've been smashing transfer records for for since we moved to the stadium and without moving there and without being able to do that, it would be it'd be a lot lot harder. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I think 
you know, obviously a Declan Rice departure in the summer, no one can argue with the way that money's been invested and that we have got better, which is not, you know, I think most people looking at that, it's very rare you see such a high-profile football transfer in, in football that everyone seems to be a winner. Because, you know, Arsenal were loving it. Like, they're waxing lyrical about Declan Rice. You knew they would. I knew they would. Everyone, I said it on this channel, they're going to love Declan Rice. It's obvious. We all know that as West Ham fans. But the bit that could have got... And the first thing West Ham did brilliant was the amount of money they got for him, right? Even though there's people saying that Arsenal should give us more money, which we'd, we'd happily take. Um, you know, that shows how happy they are with the transfer. But we've seen people like when Gareth Bale went to Madrid and Tottenham famously didn't invest that money particularly well. Like... Getting the money for Rice is only part of the battle. I always knew we were going to get good money for him, but I was always scared about how that was going to be reinvested because it's so easy, especially when everyone knows you've got the money, to spend that not the best way. And obviously the Ward-Prowse sort of saga went on a little bit. But if you actually look at who we've got, like you said, how good Kudos has been recently, but Ward-Prowse, like even Alvarez, like all these guys, we've just spent the money so well. We've made such a stronger squad from losing our best player. We've made the squad better, which is the perfect way to do it. So first of all, like, you know, I want to give you your kudos for getting kudos, yeah, yeah, um, and all the other guys. But um, we could talk all day, I think, about, like, on-the-pitch stuff. But this podcast is really about how clubs are fo football clubs are run, and it's such a great opportunity to pick your brains. So I'd love to start with the stadium. You just mentioned it there. You know, we've probably got some, we definitely have got some big decisions to make on, a, obviously, lower level, a hashtag, but about what we do with, our, with a stadium. You know, we've got a, a mock-up of a a stadium that's a virtual stadium in the UFL game that we'd love to have something like in real life one day, but we don't have a ground. We, you know, we, we ground share. Our men and women both ground share. And we've got to make a decision as to whether we try and buy a ground, build a ground. Is there even a world where, because of the uniqueness of our football club, we're better off being tenants and renting for a long period of time? These are all different, different maybe different uh, questions than West Ham had to ask, but obviously one of the big things that changed when West Ham moved from the bowling ground to the London staging was it was a, a sort of tenant sitch swap, an amazing deal. It's been well documented the sort of length of the deal and the price of the deal, whatnot. But if we remember back to when it happened, there was a lot of unrest. There was a lot of people that didn't want to see it. How important was the vision? I'm, I'm guessing you know your family would have been a big part of leading that vision as well as the other people at the club. How important was it to see you know the business case for that move above maybe an emotional case to stay? I think to be honest, it was a bit of a twofold because. Everyone forgets Tottenham are also bidding for that stadium as well. Yeah. Um, and if Tottenham moved into our sort of, well, moved into East London, that would be that would have been catastrophic for West Ham. Like that was a that was a big thing for us. Um, we were we were moving back to back to proper like East London as well and Stratford, mm. and I think it also where a lot of our fans had migrated out to Essex and all of those sorts of areas. It gave them an opportunity and an easier way into into Stratford and into all of that. And I think for us to move with the times a little bit and to be able to go into that stadium and to be able to achieve the the deal that we that we achieved. And for you look at Tottenham and you look at Arsenal, where they had to spend Tottenham spent a billion pounds on their stadium. Arsenal spent 600 million and you saw it, stunt, it stunted Arsenal's growth for yeah. a long, long period where they weren't able to spend on transfers. They had to work within their means and things like that, where I think hopefully we've got now a, a big stadium, which gives us the opportunity to generate a lot, lot of revenue. But it also gives us the opportunity to 
also not stunt our own growth because yeah. because of the way the deal the deal has been handled. And I think it also what a lot of people forget as well is it give it's given thousands and thousands and thousands of children and kids the opportunity to come to watch West Ham yeah. where that possibly was never before. When we first moved to the stadium, I think it's still the case now, we still offer £99 season tickets, which to go and watch 18 Premier League games for a child is is pretty unheard of. I mean, that's and the price of amazing. one ticket at some ground. Yeah, yeah. So it's, and that's what we're really, really proud of. And I think to give that, give back to our community, and that's what's always been very important for us. Even the Bristol game, that was £1 and £10. Um, it means that we can give back to people. And I think the bus parade, when we were going around, from the old bowling ground to um, Newham Town Hall, it was amazing to see so many different kinds of people from different upbringings, from different ethnicities, different genders, to babies, to 75-year-old granddads or 90-year-old granddads, and see all those different people all come together for a, for a natural, like for a, like a neutral cause of obviously West Ham doing so well in Europe and obviously winning the trophy. That, that for me is what football's all about, that we can bring all of those people together and whether that person is a seven-year-old or a 85-year-old, they've all got a mutual thing. They want West Ham to do well. And that's, I suppose, what's so amazing about football, but also adds a lot of pressure onto any form of ownership that, that you'll, you'll start to see as well. Yeah. But obviously, everyone's got an opinion, which is great. And that's what makes football so amazing. But it then obviously does mean that at times you're going to not make everyone happy. You and can't you... make everyone happy, can yeah. you? It's impossible. It's impossible. Yeah. And it's I think difficult. I think like that's where your guys sort of clear vision is so like applaudable really because like it, it, the proof comes out in the pudding, right? So what you've just said is such a good answer I think because you look at the last few years since the move and we have got better. <laughs> we have been in Europe three years in a row. We've won a lot of games in Europe, you know, we've won a trophy. These are all things we couldn't have said before. And they're basically being enabled by the stadium. Whereas exactly what you said, typically when teams go to a new ground, they have to take a little bit of a, a step back on, on the pitch while they just get the finances in order. Arsenal being a great point. You know, they went from being invincibles and, you know, regulars in the Champions League to not being that level again to, for almost 20 years, really. And they're just getting there again now. Was the stadium a good move for them? Yes, it was still a good move for them long term. And that's another important part, I think, of like stewardship of a club, right, is being able to see beyond the the Saturday game and look at the big picture. You know, how do we how do we make this club better overall? And that's something I try to do as well. I've got better at it as the last few years have gone by. Like if we lose, it doesn't ruin my weekend as much as it used to because I'm looking more bigger picture. I'm looking, okay, what have we done over 10 games? What have we done over a year? Where are we compared to last year? But the proof is in the pudding. The reason I say that is there's been a couple of sliding doors moments, hasn't there, last few years where maybe even last year, which was such a good year in the end, we were looking a little bit shaky in the league at points. You just imagine if there'd been a world where we had got relegated and we'd been ended up in the championship with that ground, it would have it would have given all the the critics of the move an opportunity to sort of go, oh, I told you so, I told you so. But you stayed firm, you stick to the vision, and now we're absolutely loving life. I mean, I've got loads of West Ham WhatsApp groups and stuff, and like even now I can't believe still how quickly the, some some of them will turn to like Moyes out. When I'm like, what are you talking about? We've done so well. But every time we get one of those big results, they soon shut up again. And I think any football fan that has a brain, which I like to think I'm one of them, and I do think, by the way, running hashtag has made me such a better West Ham fan. And the reason I say that is 
Some people will say the opposite. They'll say, oh, I don't go, I don't have a season ticket anymore, for example, because I can never go because hashtag I've always got a game. So in, in the basic sense, that makes me a worse fan, I guess. But I understand the decisions at a football club so much better now, albeit on a smaller scale. One thing our manager always says is like, and he means this in a nice way, he's like, football fans are idiots. And by that, he means like they're uninformed. Like most of these people don't actually know what's going on. Yeah, I, I, I don't know with that, like, there's so much information now. And I actually think, to be honest, I think Sky have done a tremendous job in actually, and people like you have done a tremendous job in actually informing a lot of people yeah. now. Like, and Fabrizio Romano, to be honest, knows more than me most of the time <laughs> when we're signing someone or whatever. And he does inform people. And to be honest, people now are so, or they, they get so much information. It depends how they take that information. It depends how they action it. And not all the information, some of the information is misinformation. And then that, yeah. I think, can be incredibly dangerous. Yeah. And it becomes difficult when you're, people are like, why did this not happen? You're like, well, it was never going to happen. But someone someone tweeted it or whatever. But I do think like Sky and Sky, for example, when they, they've had Thomas Frank on this season, they've had Gary O'Neill, yeah, yeah, like yeah. even Gary Neville and Carragher, Red Nat, like these lot are, people have played the game at the highest, highest level and they are starting to explain stuff, look at stuff, how this works. Um, there's Tifo on YouTube. That's a great mm, channel Yeah, I love well. that channel. Yeah. Um, no, I think you're uh, right. The opportunity yeah. to be informed has never been higher, certainly, yeah. but there's still a lot of emotional, like you've got, there's a lot of these fan TV channels and stuff that will react sometimes to get clicks and to get attention. And they're saying things that, like a great example is how quickly... I enjoyed the Arsenal one a few weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I enjoy all of them to be honest. Like, and especially if you're not a fan of the club, right? That's the best time it is to watch them melt. But when you know people start calling for managers to lose their jobs and all these things, and you just think, like, hang on, what, what world are we living in? You know, obviously, not just Moyes, many managers. Yeah, I, I think to be honest as well, that that again is where the for me, I think the press of and you've seen a few managers push back a lot recently. You've where the press of a Maybe not a lot to answer for, but when they need to think a little bit more before they start ousting someone or looking at something, and then two weeks later they're the best thing since sliced bread. It's very, it's very reactionary, but I suppose they're there to there to do a job. And the one thing that you have to say is all of those people having an opinion, all of those fan channels, all of those uh, journalists, all of those sorts. Of, and you've seen journalism completely change with all of the that sort of fan channels. Uh, Instagram, Twitter, you've seen the whole thing, the whole landscape completely change. That does generate more interest in the game, which yeah. is only good for the game and only means that we are still the most watched sport. We are still Premier League, still the best league in the world. And without all of that noise, I think none of that really happens. So I think you've got to see that as a positive, as much of a positive as you do. Well, I don't see it as negative. I just think if there's noise, it's great. Yeah, And it's just how you... Then for me, I think the biggest thing is how you then manage that noise and how you then make sure what you want to be out in the in the open world is out in the open world and how you then juggle that and you're as open as possible, but you also want to make sure the expectation is, is set as, as at a realistic level as well. Yeah. And then hopefully you can turn around and say, look, this didn't quite happen, but these three things did happen and vice versa. And I think... As long as you'll you'll know now, I think as long as you've got a very good core group with you, whether that's staff and and everyone's on that, as you you spoke earlier about a trajectory, and as long as that core group is all got a similar sort of vision, and everyone is open enough to criticise what everyone else is doing, and everyone can take that on board and 
not have a meltdown, then I think that can only be very beneficial for a football club. And you need to listen to that noise, but you need to make sure you don't listen to the vocal 10% mm. and don't listen to the non-vocal 90%. It's how you somehow gauge what everyone's thinking, yeah, yeah, if that yeah. makes sense. I think that's really, really important. I think that's a really good point as it pertains to hashtag as well in the microcosm of it, which is, you know, the YouTube comments. So we'll always say to our players, like if we sign a new player, we'll say, look, don't take the comments too seriously because first of all, you know, if you do something great, they think you're messy. If you do something bad, they think we should sack you, right? But also remember who's commenting. And first of all, I watch YouTube, but I actually very rarely comment. Yeah. And even if I did comment, my comment would be less of a reactionary, crazy one. It'd be more like, a, this is a good video. Well done or something like that. Mm -hmm. So the ones that are commenting, like you said, the, the vocal minority, they're not representative of the of the whole or the group. So it's easier said than done. It takes a lot of practice. Certainly for me on YouTube and things, it took me years to I, understand. The one thing I still think, though, I think it's super important you read and listen to everything. I think it's so, so, so important. I think you're naive to not, or to think you know better than everyone else. Yeah. I think like, Bottom line is, if I don't know, in your your terms, a thousand people say something. At some point, they've that's what a lot lot of people do think. Whether yeah, you, they're all saying whether, it, yeah. whether you agree with it or disagree with it. Then well, I think the that's skill though, you, but the skill is being able to, like you sort of said, then the skill is to be able to take it in without taking it personally. Mm -hmm. So when you're looking at it on a YouTube perspective as an individual, sometimes it feels like a personal attack. And unless you and I come into YouTube a bit later, so I think I was a little bit more self-assured. But if you're one of these younger guys, and it's the same for a young footballer, I guess, getting critiqued. Like if you take it personally and it affects your ability to do well, then that's damaging. But if the dream scenario is, yeah, exactly what you say, take it all with criticism constructively and improve. And that's that again, where I think it's so, so, so important. You've got a, whether you're a young footballer or YouTuber or whoever you are, if you've got a strong support network around you that you really trust and they think what you're doing is still correct, then yeah. that's when that's really, really important. I, I don't know, obviously we'll go back to like the Euros and things like that. The amount of pressure that, those three boys must have been under mm. is like it's like un, like you've got millions and millions and millions of people and you're the back page of the paper and you got this you got like everywhere you look it's like impossible to get get around it but even you look at the Beckham documentary as well obviously where he got sent off um but I do think the world's in a probably in a much better place in terms of that of where people are a lot more accepting of of stuff and yeah. obviously it does mean that more people can have a voice than ever which like anything, and like anything in anything, there's negatives and there's positives. Isn't yeah, there, really? yeah, yeah. I mean, I want to take it back a little bit now. Like, so, I mean, Birmingham, for example, you, your, your dad's time at Birmingham, like, how much of that do you remember? You would have been quite young, I think. Yeah, so yeah, like, I remember it, remember it very positively, to be honest with you. It was like, it was, it was a nice time. I think the last eight or 10 years at Birmingham, we was either in the Premier League or got promoted to the Premier League. Um, so it, it was, we we feel like we ran Birmingham very well and very very efficiently, and since we've left and they've gone back down, they haven't been able to get re-promoted. Re yeah. um, but we we look at Birmingham in, in in positive light. We like my dad still speaks about Birmingham very positively. Obviously, with some great managers at Birmingham like Barry Fry, with hmm. um, with Steve Bruce, Alex McLeish, who obviously did a great job there. I'm probably forgetting some others as well. It's not very good, but um, it was the League Cup final one. Do you? Yeah, time no, as well? just just oh. as we left, okay. which was gutted. The year that we left, we got to the League Cup final, and and they finished uh, eighth, I think. Yeah, which was, which was, um, or the year we left, they finished eighth, and then 
the year after, so we left in like the January, they finished eighth, and then the year after they got to the League Cup final. Got it. Um, so we left a really, really good team there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it was a team that knew exactly what they were, their jobs, everything like that. And and um, Alex McLeese did a did a fantastic job there as well. Uh, we still speak to Alex now. Um, and it was it was a great time, but again, fan expectation there was was high, and the the we got relegated and against Blackburn, and we uh, fans ran on the pitch, and um, uh, one of the fans threatened to slit my brother's throat, and Jeez. that was that was the day. How old was he at the time? Young, like two years older than me. I don't know how old it would have been, but that was the day my dad was like, "We've got to go." Wow, um, which was tough, uh, but still happy memories. Um, and we actually went back there with West Ham under Avram and we lost, which was, that was in the semi-final of the yeah. uh, cup. But then, um, but no, it's tough and, but very happy memories. And that's, that's football. Like, as you said, you're not, not to please everyone. And yeah, but there's a the line, isn't there? I mean, that's, that's pretty intense. I know you probably sort of brushed over it there, but like, I think that's something that what we're trying to do with this podcast is really show yeah, the, the well, bit you don't see running a football yeah, club. The, and that's the, a great example. The one, the one thing I would say though, and I say this to dad a lot as well is, no one puts yourself in that. No one puts you in that position. Yeah, true. You, you're the only one who puts yourself. Maybe Dave's not a good example because Dave's been brought up and grown up into it. But like the bottom line is, if you want to run a football club and you've got a lot of eyeballs on you, you're going to take the good, which is when you win things and it's great, and you're the one on the bus and you're the one who gets to hold the trophy first and all of that. Like Dad was on the pitch, like shaking everyone's hand when they've gone up and got the medals and all of that stuff. And then you're also going to be the ones who get, can I swear? Yeah. Yeah. yeah who get all the shit as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and so that unfortunately is, is the nature of the beast a little bit. And like, There's a line though. There's a line though. I, I think yeah. once you get into like, I mean, I'm just fast forwarding in my head. I've got a little boy, right? Three years old. Mm-hmm. I think, and much like you've been involved and you're playing a massive part now in the, in the sort of empire, if you like. And you know, there's every chance we can see you take more and more role going forward. I imagine. I, I look at what we're doing a hashtag and I think is that something like if he wants to, my little boy could do. And like in terms of taking criticism on on the chin when you've done something wrong, 100%, you've got to be responsible for that. But when they start talking about your life and all this stuff, whether or not the threat was genuine, yeah, yeah. it's still, especially for a young lad, that is unacceptable. And I think also you haven't made another, the other point you made there was I don't think we do it as well in this country they do in America. One thing in America is the owners of clubs are way more associated with the clubs than they are, and not necessarily soccer teams, but we're talking maybe like NFL teams or NBA teams, way more associated with the clubs than um, than they are in England. You know, in America, the model's a bit different. You know, you, we're sort of moving that way, but you've got your, your GM and you've got your coach, but the owners are very front and centre. And in England, we do things a bit differently. And to the point where I think the bad with the good is true, but I actually don't think, it's a couple of exceptions i think about leicester when they won the league and their owner who obviously sadly passed away um how how front and center he was because of the job he'd done there but generally it's the managers that get most of the credit no like generally the players obviously but how how is that frustrating from an ownership perspective because you guys hire the managers you keep the managers you support the managers you replace the managers when they need to be replaced if those decisions lead to you winning a european cup or whatever it is you don't get articles going, you know, David Sullivan's done it again. It's always Moyes or it's always... To whatever. be honest, like, no, don't really mind. Like, we're not here for a big ego. We're here to do, and like, obviously, hopefully make, put the club in a better place than it was. Um, and look, I think, I don't know, the last few years have been obviously great. And I think 
that's our job is well i don't know i say that my dad's job or and the board's now job is to make sure that the club's in a better place and he goes to bed at night thinking like shit we've won a european trophy or we've got europe three years in a row or that's great and that's that's i think that's enough for him um i think as he's got older he, he just also thinks just just doesn't he doesn't need it type thing and he's like he knows as long as he knows he's doing a good job then i think i think that's enough um and like to be honest as you, you've hit the nail on the head when everything's going wrong you they also blame the manager when everything's going right so yeah, they do blame the board as well as though i think yeah, i think I the board know. the fans maybe not the press but the fans come for the owners quite quickly i think not just west ham by the way i'm just talking about football in mm -hmm. general but I, I obviously i'm biased like you know I'm not for one minute, for example, saying our manager, Devs, who's done such a great job, doesn't deserve like a huge amount of credit for the many promotions we've achieved. It's the same with us, to be honest. Moyes has done such a phenomenal um, job. You won't find a bigger Moyes fan than me, to be honest. Like, I just can't imagine anyone not being. But like, yeah, I just think America, I know they do it differently in America. And I think that's because there is less, we still have the sort of Sir Alex Ferguson, even though managing managerial jobs don't really work like that in football much at the high level anymore. We still have that kind of, aura about management in in English football, which yeah, is their the control. Other, the other thing is as well, like the NFL, my brother loves it. The owners do put themselves front and centre yeah. as well. Like you look at, and maybe it's another, not an attack at the press, but you look at um, owners, I think now are scared to do interviews with main, like mainstream media because they get caught out by one line or they mm. get caught out by centre and that's the front page. And then that for years on end is is what's referenced. Like it becomes yeah. like a very, very difficult sort of scenario really where that's front and centre. And then I remember dad did an interview once and he's, he spoke for two hours and he said one sentence in that two hours and that was the front page. And that was that was like, it killed the whole interview. And all, to be honest, no one ever reads the interview, they read the front page. Yeah, and yeah, then that's, yeah. that's what goes around Twitter. That's what goes around everything. And after that, it was like, I just can't, I just can't do it anymore. Like, Is that not what's good about social media, though? Because one of my original jobs was managing social media accounts for footballers. So I used to work for Vincent Company, for example. And one of the things he was really interested in was being able to have his own say and, like, hear it from him. And that's what social media has given us, right? You know, like, I always remember, and obviously, again, we should talk about the, the passing of David Gold, obviously, last year. Super sad to see. Again, condolences. Like, real loss for West Ham family. Um, but one of his his famous tweets was the don't go to bed. You know, I used to love that. Like, you know, we're, we're doing business here. And I love the idea that the guys who owned our club were talking to us directly. And of course, that's come with some stick over the years as yeah. well and whatnot. And yeah, there's, so I always look at it. Social media is still in its infancy. Like people are learning. I learn still now how to use it, how not to use it. I think people have got to be aware of that. But the fact that an owner, a player, whatever, can have a direct relationship with their audience and say what they want to say is it does take a bit of power away from the press who are just looking for that clickbait headline, doesn't it? Yeah, I think I think so, but I, I know it's difficult. I, yeah, yeah, I, I agree, and you can have, have your own say, but then that even that statement or that, you've seen it a lot, like, people are so scared now to say anything. Like, there's, mm. there's you see statements that are just so bog standard, like, and, like, almost contrive a little bit, where, like, I, I actually think Declan did a fantastic job job with his one, and it was... And he's such a unbelievable person, and we were so lucky to have him at West Ham, and hopefully help him go on on his journey, and hopefully one day he comes back. Yeah. But but it's he's his he did a fantastic job. But you also see so many now where they're just so like just wishy washy and whatever. And I I don't know. I 
as you said, look, it's still it's still in its infancy, and I don't think anyone's really really perfected it. And it's um, it's it's one of those things where. I, th- I think the other thing you, you hit the nail on the head with, with the NFL is, is a lot of the time is it's like they love a story, the NFL. They love like a big like this or that and they love like a big where like with football, I think a little bit, I'm not scared, but people are just, people want like, they want things to be ran properly and they don't like the idea that something crazy's happened, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. So we're in the, in the NFL obviously because there's no relegation, there's no real like, doesn't seem to be a lot of jeopardy if anything yeah, goes wrong. It's true. Where it sort of it becomes like an entertainment rather than with football, it's obviously an entertainment. But to be honest, everyone wants to win and every, everyone's fixated on that. Where it's like, it's not like yeah. So there's more pressure. There's more yeah, to I, lose. I'll use, yeah. I don't know. I'd use the Jets as an example. The Jets were obviously very bad for a long time. They're, I think they're quite good this year. I don't know. I don't watch as much, Dave. And. But it was almost like a joke where if that's like Sunderland, for example, which obviously for a long time they went into League One, that's like, it's not a joke. It's Getting very, very serious. And and, stuff, yeah. yeah, and it's not so much death threats to me, but it's also like that ruins people's lives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you, you saw on Sunderland, Sunderland Side Dive was the unbelievable documentary. Like you see how it really, really genuinely affects people. Where people with their jobs. Where with like the Jets and things like that, because it's its own thing and there's no relegation, which... I don't like personally, but it's a slightly different sort of proposition almost, yeah, yeah, if that yeah. makes sense. And that's where I think football's amazing. I, I listened to Delia Smith's um, podcast on the a high performance podcast and Delia Smith was the guest. I thought she spoke unbelievably well about her in a football club. Yeah. You should listen to I it. Listen it's to it's it. unbelievable. Delia, good. if you're watching, come on. Let's be having you. <laughs> Get involved. She, I, I emailed her after and said, look, I think, I, it was it was un, I thought it was unbelievable good I thought she hit so many nails on the head I okay. thought she she's lived and breathed it and she's also an owner and she's the first to admit that doesn't have oil baron money mm, mm. so for, and she's, she's done got, a, uh, she's done a, olive oil money <laughs> <laughs> and, she's, <laughs> and she's done amazing with what she, like at Norwich she's done such a brilliant job um, I think they've just taken investment from the, from the American fund as well to hopefully mm. kick them onto onto the next level. But um, yeah, I never yeah. got the Norwich like people talking about Norwich being a yo-yo club and all that stuff. Like that's not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing if the thing you were before was you know a Championship club or whatever. I'm not saying Norwich were, but you know what I mean. Like it's all about improving from yeah, where I, you were. Yeah, I think to be honest, that's when you go back to expectation as well. Yeah. You're going to see it with Brighton, like Brighton. I don't know how many years ago, but a long time, well, not that long ago. But they was in League One. Yeah, didn't have a ground, didn't have anything. They're now going to get, well, they've got European football this year. They might get it again this year. And for me, the best club, the best round club, and I think everyone would say that, the best round club. And crazy, like, whenever we see them, we're like, you guys are the geniuses. We were just trying to... But also Brighton have got a ridiculous (laughs) record against us as well. I hate playing Brighton. Although, that's when we beat them away this year. Yeah, We went, we went, we deserved one. Yeah, we got four points this year. We'll take that. Yeah, yeah. But no, they are are bang on. And I think, again, it's another great example of... Money's great. You have loads and loads and loads of money, but it's what you do with that money and how you spend it. And Brighton are a great example of, although everyone's like stats, stats, stats. So I think it's really important for them. And Brentford, the more I hear about Brentford's system through lots of other people, I think a lot of it is they just watch, they watch and watch and watch and watch, watch footage. I think it closes the catchment. Mm. I think it takes us looking from 2,500 players to 200 players. But then I think it's really just how they watch and they go and find value and they go and do really, really well. 
and they've got a real clear vision, a clear structure. Yeah. And people want to go and play there because they think, oh, I, I do well and, and they get chances, go yeah. well and go wherever and they get a chance. So yeah, I think they're a, they're a great example of money's not everything. But also, as I'm going back to, their expectation from their fans will start to be, yeah, well, we want European football. Yeah. And that's just, unfortunately, mad. but it's the nature of the beast. It's the nature of, of people. It'd be the same with, with you guys, let's say you guys get promoted this year and you've you've obviously got promoted and got promoted, you'll be thinking, all right, we need to do quite well this year. It's like, it's just the nature of expectation yeah. and the nature of everyone is everyone always wants more, whether it's in their job and they want a pay rise or whether they want more days holiday or, or I'm the boss and I look at the staff and I think, oh, you can do a bit more there. Everyone constantly, which is a good thing, I think, as well. Everyone wants to push everyone else on. Yeah. And that's, that's obviously... A good thing and well, like like a lot of things said, good thing and a bad thing in yeah. in ways. But that's just the nature of everything. Nature of the life. beast. I think like for me, the expectation when someone's been a fan for a longer period of time and they've seen multiple eras and you know different teams and generations of teams, they have a bit more context, don't they? And they tend to be a bit more patient. And expectation still certainly sits in with anyone, but the I think younger also fans, yeah. When people get older, I think people just plateau, like, or they yeah. become a bit more. They've seen a lot more. They've so there's there's a great thing. sort of philosophical argument there about life in general, you know, which is you probably start to enjoy the now a bit more as you get older and start to just enjoy if you're a fan the act of going to a game on a Saturday for what it is rather than we need to win today so we go here and here because you're living in the future but I mean you mentioned some clubs I'm a massive fan of they're like Brentford and Brighton and the way they do things and the way they innovate I think it's a really important thing to look at from a football ownership perspective because for me innovation is one of the first things to go when you start to struggle so like you talked about the threat of relegation you know and how apparent that is versus like an uh, America sport where they don't have it and that's why so many great uh things that have happened over the years that point to that. One of the things I always bring up is how like Man United were the last club to join Twitter. You know, it's like, well, why? It's because when you're established and you're successful and you have huge repercussions for making, doing, getting something wrong, you know, you've got, for example, they're on the stock exchange, all these things, like you can't get something wrong. It's, the cost is too, too much. So they have to see how everything else does first. And even like Neil, who's working with us here, he'll remember when we were working at Copper 90 together and we were trying to get clubs to do interviews with this upstart YouTube channel and stuff like any big clubs, they just didn't want to touch it because they were like, well, YouTube, well, I don't know what this is. So you have to go after the lower hanging fruit, you know, the the footballers who are a bit different or the clubs who had something they wanted to promote or whatever. And then you had to prove the concept. And so when I look at Brighton and Brentford, I think their model, because that's the model I'd love to follow. You know, hashtag are getting to a point now where we never bought the league, but we certainly had more resources than other teams in our league in the lower levels. That's not really the case necessarily anymore. So we have to be cleverer. And as a fan of football and as someone who has read a lot of books about, you know, whether it's, you know, money ball and all these different approaches, I like that. It resonates with me. I like value. I like teams doing it the right way. Right. But when you look at your cities, your Uniteds, your Arsenal, your Chelsea, they can't take that approach. I mean, they can, and I think they should sometimes. City have done amazing, by the way. City have, and the they've got that, better. The way they recruit and their academy and the way... This is outside looking. I don't know a lot about I, just from me looking at it. No, certainly. At City's academy, the players they're getting minutes in this year is, is amazing. But equally, they are able to put 100 million on a Jack Grealish, for example. Mm -hmm. You know, you've got... Liverpool, again, have done amazing. Like, the money they've spent, actually, net spend isn't high compared to some other clubs. Um, do, you know, do you know the one thing, though, I think it's not spoken about enough, yeah, and, like, I think... Sometimes, and I look at the I look at our academy setup. I think our academy setup is a great example. And like we've produced obviously quite a lot of good players, and we won the FA Youth Cup recently. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The one thing I think, if you ask those lot what they do really, really well, 
is they do some of the old stuff really, really well. And I think sometimes in football we lose sight of, or not lose sight, but we say, oh, this is the next best thing and this is the next best thing. But the bottom line is if principles aren't embedded into players early and they're not in on time, they're not doing this right, they're not doing that right, and don't get me wrong, they don't wash boots anymore and they don't no. go and like, if they turn up late, don't do this. Uh, but it's still all of those same principles. And Kevin Keane did a great job with the under-18s last year and, and the whole academy staff did, but obviously he was the manager. So as we were saying earlier, he gets applauded. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> and, but I think what they've done really, really well is we're like, all right, we know we're, never, we're not going to be Chelsea. We know we're not going to be this. No, we're not going to be that. But we're going to keep a tight group of players and we're going to make sure that all of them get they improve individually they do they improve as a team together they understand tactics better so when they do make that next step in football whether that's with us or whether that's with whoever and that's not a money ball approach that's not this approach that's and you've gone back to it a lot actually with players now when we're when you're recruiting players character references is huge now mm -hmm. becomes a huge huge thing and a lot of the very basic things do you actually think this person he may be the best footballer, he may be the best this, but do you actually think this person can come in? And the manager, although he's very forward-thinking, and he is, he's also very traditional in, I want to keep a clean sheet, I want to do that, I want to do... And I think sometimes as well, which happens a lot in football, you can be like, oh, we need to do this, we need to do this, and this sounds great, and this sounds great, which a lot of the time it is, and it does, and it's great, and you have to move forward with the times, so it's just fact, it's normal. But you still can't be... It's still the exact same game. It's still 11 players on the pitch. It's still people coming to watch you. It's all of those things. So to make sure that you're still letting, you're still inspiring that next generation to come through, whether that's through Twitter, through YouTube, through whatever, however that is, it's still the exact same principles of the game and also the exact same principles of, I suppose, marketing the game. But that stuff gets harder though, right? As time progresses, because like things like player power and players if they do progress out the under-18s, for example, and they get in the first team, and suddenly they get on these big contracts. Like It is way harder to enforce some of those principles than it used to be in, say, the Sir Alex era where you know the hairdryer treatment, all this stuff. It's harder for people in positions of power to do that, right? Would you say that's fair? Uh, yeah, I th but I think like anything, it changes. I, to be honest, I'd, I'd probably look at, I don't know, use the workplace as, a, as an example. In, mm. in a normal job, that's completely changed type thing, the way yeah. that... The, the which I think is probably a good thing as well. The employer now has a lot more rights than what they probably had, I don't know, fifteen years ago type thing. And and it's it's probably the same in 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 a change room. And obviously, as you said, they can now be vocal on their social media. And you've seen bits like that this year. And um, they've they've now got obviously links to their own press and this that they speak to. And like is what it is. But I think that's when you go back to a having a very good culture and a very good structure that hopefully that doesn't change much, if that makes sense. Yeah, that, we're consistent with it. Yeah, yeah. and we, we've, uh, example for me, me, the, me, the women's team is, we've seen players in the past have issue with what the manager wants to do, but and then they try and speak to the other players in the change room. And that's where you need to make sure that if the players are bought into the manager, and, or not only the manager, but also the club, that player trying to, poison that dressing room in inverted commas yeah doesn't work because the players that believe in what so when they come with that they just go well all right no problem like that's your problem it's not our problem and vice versa type thing and that's where i think it's really important that there is that sort of 
I don't like the word, but that culture and this and this. Yeah, it's nice. Really but important. I also, but I also think it's, I, but I also, I'm also very, very quick to believe, believe in that if things need to change quickly, it's important that they can change quickly, and you're not fixated on something that is hopeless. I yeah. think, I think yeah, that's yeah, super, yeah. super important. Like, if you're fixated on something that is that isn't going to work, you need to be big enough and man enough to say, all right, well, that hasn't worked. We need to change this fucking quickly. Yeah, you got to be flexible. And yeah, we need, we need to be flexible as well. And and I think, I think to be honest, I'd say I wasn't good at with the women's, but since I've been involved with maybe the men's a little, I've travelled a bit more with the men's, and I've seen. I think communications, and I speak to a lot of people now, like whether it's agents or it's players or whatever it is, not just at West Ham, but I speak about other clubs and speak to other people at other clubs. I think that idea of communication and linear communication, whether that's on the business side or on the on the um, personal side, I think that's really, really important. Yeah. And to know what people are signing up to and building into and all of that thing. And then things will go wrong as well. And it's difficult, but it's communication in the way that everyone feels heard, but in a weird sort of way, not too heard that you have to try and please. It's still a direction. Have, yeah, it's still a direction top, yeah. coming forward. And, but also that there's also massively, yeah, that people know what they're signing up to and what the expectation is as well. And I think that's really, really important. I think everyone having their own sort of, everyone being accountable for exactly what they know what they're accountable for as well. Yeah. I think that's incredibly important that, so at the end of the year, whether everything's been hit, maybe not, and whether they need help with certain stuff from other people, but at the end of the month or the year, Everyone says, all right, well, was that done? What was that? Did we hit that target? Did we do that? Did we do that? And that's a great way to make sure that everyone doesn't get too bogged down in detail and they put their heads above the parapet a little bit and everyone, everything keeps moving forward in, in yeah, a direction Yeah, with a club well. like West Ham, any Premier League club, I guess, you've got so many different departments and things. Like, you know, you could have an amazing season on the pitch, but there might be targets off the pitch that weren't hit, be it hospitality or merchandise or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, or vice versa, amazing season off the pitch not so good on the pitch man united is a great example you know they haven't had a great season on the pitch for a while really but they still continue to hit these huge commercial targets and things so there'll be people at the club who are doing a great job and who are pleasing their line managers and stuff even if others aren't um but i want to i want to dig a bit more into like the man that is jack the enigma that is jack sullivan now like when did you start to think you know this thing that my dad does i i, I like this beyond just being you know probably a football fan and, and enjoying being in the football club in the family, when did you start to think, I think I could do this as a job? Uh, to be honest, I wasn't interested in football until I was about six, six. I think it's the, it was... Still uh, pretty young. Yeah, no, I know. I, said <laughs> I, didn't, that. I didn't like football but, at all um, until I was like 12. But you know? it was the World Cup where Rooney, or is it the World Cup? Or the, I don't know, one or the other, Euros, I think, when Rooney got sent off with Ronaldo, the whole Ronaldo. Yeah, Rooney I was at that game. Yeah. I was at that Were game you? in Germany. Girls and that was, that was the time when I was like, it's the best thing ever. And my dad was always like to, and my dad and my mum were like, oh, come to football, don't come to football, whatever you want to do, but do what you want to do. So there wasn't there like, was, like was a, never, you need no, to get into the family no, business? No, 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 there was never any pressure. And there's still not now, to be honest with you. Um, the big thing that they just want is they just want me and Dave to be happy no matter what we're doing. However, and that's that's like their their main their main thing. Um, I think, uh, and then uh, to be honest with you, I was like, so I was like fourteen, and I was like, oh, like the women's team at the time was like bit everywhere to be honest, and they were saying they were going bust and this and that, and then other people were running it and 
vice versa. And I was like, oh, fuck, like, I think I could, like, I think I could do that. And then, my like, at the time, my mum was quite... You thought that at 14? Yeah, yeah, which wow. is weird. But but it was, like, probably naively, to be honest with you, and I'll go on to why. Um, but, um, but, yeah, I was just, like, just thought, oh, I was like, oh, that's fucking, like, I, think I could do that and, like, can't be that hard. And, like, this, like, all the thoughts do you think at, like, to be honest, think at 10, you think you can run the world and you think you can solve everything and do everything. But it's and also then, important to say women's football particularly is in a very different place when mm-hmm. you were that age. Like, yeah, it's yeah, really like, grown a lot yeah. quickly. Like, to be honest, since I've left, it's grown quickly. But, yeah, during that time, like, and they were saying they weren't getting kit, they weren't doing this, weren't doing that. And then it for, like, another two years, it sort of... Um, the women's team being run uh, by a guy called Stephen Stephen Hunt, and he actually took over during that like crisis period. They had like a I don't know. They said, "Can anyone sort of run this team?" And he came from like a background of running uh, businesses and other thing. I think actually an insolvency, which maybe not the best. But, uh, but at this time but, as well, West Ham women weren't actually directly linked. To West no, Ham, they, were, they? They, they weren't. They weren't. They were. Yeah. They were like a separate. Um, they they almost licensed the name of us for nothing, it, and yeah. they sort of ran it, and which is fairly was fairly common. In yeah, football yeah, at that very point. very common. And to be honest with you, a lot of the time they did not want the club's help. Like it's the guy was the guy who ran it loved running it, and he was like, "I'm very happy running it." But so we we're like, right, fine. Um, so uh, yeah, and then at at uh, sixteen, I sort of came to a bit of I wouldn't have been sixteen, like fifteen, sixteen. I just finished my GCSEs or was finished coming to the end of my GCSEs. Yeah. It's one of my big regrets, actually. I knew I was leaving. I knew I wasn't doing A-levels. So my GCSEs, although I got decent grades, it was pretty hard to motivate myself because I know I didn't have to... Yeah, yeah, yeah. ...go, like, didn't have to... I wasn't doing it to go into A-levels or go into... job interviews or anything. Yeah, yeah. So I was kind of like... Like, maybe job interviews, but it wasn't so much like, oh... Because at my school, you need certain grades to stay in. And I would have stayed in, but I looked back and I was just—I always kick myself. I was like watching the chase at five o'clock and I have like an exam at like <laughs> the revision. next day. It's revision. And I was just like, and I was like, this is ridiculous. Looking back now, I was like, this is ridiculous. Like, I should have probably have concentrated a bit more. But, um, but um, I, yeah, so when I, um, so then I went to a like, and I'm dyslexic. And my mum was like, to be honest, A-levels is like, compared to GCSEs is like a thousand times more reading the school was saying that to me as well. And I was like, okay, well, it's not really like, I'd hate reading. As you know, I don't mind writing, but I don't like reading. And if it's all of that, and it's a lot more just that and the other, and I sort of know I want to get involved in football. The reason why I like the football and the football business is because, as you hit the nail on the head earlier, it's 10 businesses in one. Mm. There's a retail, there's hospitality, there's commercial sponsorship, there's um, ticketing, there's, I don't know, marketing, there's media, there's, I don't know, the actual football, yeah. the academy, e-sports the foundation, now, clubs, yeah, e-sports. esports, the foundation. You've got all of these amazing businesses all rolled into one big business that therefore makes us generate 200 odd million pounds worth of revenue a year, but they're all broken up into their own little subsections that all work together. Um, so was your thinking then, what an amazing education in business in general I could get through West Ham and then maybe take it in another direction? Or was so, it always, no, I want to be in football? So, it's uh, a good question. Um, I mean, you're still honest, young, by the yeah, way, to, yes, be, to be honest. Yeah, like, to you be, don't have to know yeah, the answer to be, to Yeah, to be honest, a mixture of both. So I think I'd always like to be involved in football. I, I love it. I think it's an amazing sport, whether it's owning a football club or whether it's, 
do my own thing or whatever it is. I, I don't know. But I, I love football as a sport. I think it's the most fascinating, not only on a, I think also like a human sort of, not only fans, but players. And Dawson's a great example. You bring in someone for £2 million, they become like a cult hero. Yeah. You bring in someone for £40 million and they become a disaster. And it's yeah. like all of that mental sort of side of things that someone can be, someone can be amazing. Someone can be, te- and there's all, there's so much going through their heads and, there's so many fine margins on someone hitting the post and, and then that not going in and then someone getting the sack off the back of that. And there's there's so many different sort of like amazing sort of things. But the reason I loved it is I thought, look, I'll go, I'll go and do that. And I went and did work experience alongside some form of education for a year. Mm-hmm. And then I did, went around every single um, part of the club. So uh was with player care, then worked in retail, then did like absolutely like everything around the club. Um, and at the end of that year, I was kind of like, all right, well, I don't really like jumping from place to place. I don't really feel like I'm doing anything. If I'm doing stuff, but I'm not like properly got a project to focus on and yeah. coming to work every day. Like, all right, one day I'm printing a shirt in the shop and then the next day I'm trying to sell trying is the octave work because it was not my forte but trying to sell hospitality tickets for Chelsea in the cup it was and like so at the end of that I was like all right well there's a lot happening and and I actually went to White Hart Lane to watch West Ham women's versus Spurs women's which was the uh, Tottenham women's game at the stadium yeah before it got knocked down and um and I left there thinking oh like and it just become in-house by the foundation at that point like um, Stephen Hunt passed it over, and the um, the like foundation took it over because uh, it was not even semi. I wouldn't even call it semi pro no, at it that time. Amateur, it was, it was yeah. amateur, literally amateur, yeah. And um, and uh, it was actually the same division as you. And was uh, it? Third yeah, tier? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but even and, that, the third tier now compared to what the third tier would have yeah, been. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Unlike the men's levels, which are kind of stable. Women's level every every year it becomes bigger. Yeah, no, hundred percent. And it was like so for me it was like all right. Well, I said to Dad and I was like, look, like, could I do this and do that full time? And I saw amazing growth opportunity not only in the game but also at West Ham. Like we had an amazing opportunity to make the women's team into a proper department at the football club, which it is now. Yeah. Um, and a proper football team, no different to the first uh to the men's first team or the women's first team or the academy or all these different parts of the football club so that so what was uh, your dad's reaction when you dad's said reaction that? was like yeah you're gonna deal with the ex- all the exact same problems that i deal with just with about 100 zeros less yeah, so yeah, it's yeah. gonna be whether it's getting people into the ground selling tickets doing sponsorship getting players to renew getting that uh, you'll know at amateur level you also deal with like players just they're not on a contract yeah, yeah, yeah. so it's sort of like well, i don't want to play i'm not turning up and it's a bit like well i we can't really do very much yeah <laughs> so yeah. please so, come yeah <laughs> so so yeah it was a bit like that and then when i first started like and it got announced there was a lot of people like i think about i was been 16 at the time which so when, when you say so when your dad said it's going to be like what i do with less zeros was he saying that in like it's going to be a great way for you yeah no he was he, he was, was super okay. positive about it he was like yeah and the other thing is as well, like, which a lot of people don't have, I had an amazing safety net of amazing professionals around me. Yeah, you could just ask him for advice. Yeah, yeah ask exactly. him or ask whether it's like marketing or like wherever it was, it was like, 
I had all of that safety net around me. So I couldn't, I think, I don't know, he never told me this, but in a grand scheme of things, it couldn't have gone that wrong. No, the yeah, money yeah, wasn't yeah. huge. Yeah. And it couldn't have gone that wrong. Um, I also think I had hope, I don't know, I hope he believed in me partially as well. So, um, so were you, what was going through your, once it became an apparent that it was something you could do, so you got the yeah. green, green light, okay, this might actually happen now. Yeah. And then obviously press start talking about it. It was quite news in football because quite unusual, really, if someone yeah, yeah. that age. Um, what was going through your head? Like, did you ever think of anything like this? Like, you know, uh, imposter syndrome or anything like that? Because I can imagine some people would feel like, oh, I'm young. Have I, but I completely agree with what you're saying, by the way, they had this amazing safety net. Like, and I actually think, this should happen more in football because one thing I know to be true, you've done a lot of it today, which is where you make contrast to the work environment, right? No one, everyone gets better at things with reps, right? Everyone does. So surely, and in football, it's weird, right? Because in football, you get a lot of people in the ownership level that come to football, really experienced businessmen or women, really successful, but no football experience, like zero. And it is apparent clearly that they're going to get better every year because you would, because you learn there's things you happen every season. You go, okay, that's not going to happen again. That's not going to happen again. So you need the reps, just like a manager needs reps, just like the player needs reps. So what better thing than having someone start? So, you know, talk about that 10,000 hour rule, something I'm fascinated with people becoming mm -hmm. experts, super young. Truly, if you're looking to build a football exec for the future, you want them to start young and be in football from that age, rather than go and get 20 years working in, in a sales environment or a, hedge fund and then have to learn the football bit yeah you could also bring in different skills with that as well but yeah no yeah i 100 I, I i agree and like i think so obviously i i went into that and dad was super keen for me to do it and then it sort of yeah so i suppose the uh, the press had obviously said a few things and then the the um a lot of the fans were like is this joke type thing but was that and because it was at a time when maybe there was a little bit less support in general at west I ham i think i think potentially and i also think potentially that I, to be honest, I was this kid on Twitter who tweeted transfer news. Like, so like, <laughs> let's, let's be realistic about that whole thing. Like, well, let's talk about that then. So, my understanding when you're doing that sort of stuff is that you're just trying to help, like, the football fan. Understand yeah, what's going yeah, on. no, I agreed, and I agree. But I don't know. I I look back now, and I think I probably never should have done it. To be honest with you, but I suppose then it has given a platform for possibly this, possibly lots and lots of other things. But I don't know. It was a is is a difficult time and. Difficult to to know if it was the right thing or the wrong thing, and I think I don't know. I was it was it was trying to be informative, yeah. And a lot of the stuff we were saying was well, it all, I wouldn't we wouldn't have tweeted stuff that wasn't actually what we thought was going to happen. No, you but, weren't making it up, yeah. But, exactly. but like anything, things can change on a sixpence and vice yeah. versa, and all of those sorts of things. Um, but there shouldn't you shouldn't need to worry about whether it was right or wrong. You were like fourteen, mate. Yeah, like, no, that's true. This is the problem with social media: yeah. is these kids are having to but, make these mistakes also, in public. But yeah, but I also think as well a little bit was like when I did get all the shit, it was kind of like, well, it's not really new, so it's fine. <laughs> I was like used to it. Whether it was I don't know a deal fell through or this happened or that happened, that it was kind of like, well, I've had all that before, so that never really bothered me that much. And I was pretty fixated on just proving people wrong. But yeah. I believed in what I wanted to do and I wouldn't have done it if I didn't think I could have done a good job. And Where do you think that comes from, that sort of uh, self-confidence? Because there's a lot of people, like I imagine you probably got some not very nice tweets and stuff around that time. I don't know if you checked them or whatnot. I mean, I, that was one of the first things I started yeah, doing. I, I, um, I stopped looking at them. I, to be honest, I always look at them. I still look at them all now. 
whether it's like I've never I've never had a problem with not looking at them and I think as I said before I think it's really really important to look at everything um where's it come from I don't know probably a bit then was a bit naivety to be honest with you I think I've lost and I actually quite like um I think you were naive to the the negativeness of it all well I just thought nothing go wrong yeah, it's like, who cares? Just thought, like, like, if I'm going to do it, it's probably going to be all right and see how we get on, really. Like, it's, I just think when you're... When you're but what I mean is if people when were you're saying young, stuff that wasn't nice, though, or they were criticising you, I think more I often just, than not, young lads would take that on the chin quite badly. Like, that, that, that would I, hurt them. I don't know. Potentially, I, I don't know. I think... It's a great thing, yeah, by the I'd, way, that I'd, you didn't I'd, affect I'd, it. I, 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 I don't know, really. Like, I don't know. I just think when you're, like... I don't know, you're a bit young. You're a bit like, oh, you think... And then you just sort of run, run through it all. And I was, I was also like, I could make a decision like that. When I was like 17, 18, I made a decision like that. If I wanted to do something, it was like that. And it was like done. Where now, like, I, I think I've lost it. And I'm not sure it's, there's, I think there's positives and negatives to a lot of it. But I think overall, I wish I had a bit more like, dad's like that, he's very quick. He's like, dad, he'll speak to a lot of people, but as soon as he's made his mind up, he's like, we're doing that. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you cannot, push him in in any direction otherwise he's yeah. like that is the way we're going and um that i think it's a great great skill to have and i think i've maybe been a bit in the i don't know i don't know the environment and i don't know what you call it like the big business environment yeah possibly i do think you lose it a little bit and i i hope a bit I, of fear sets in about what could happen not if you so make much the wrong fear but i just feel like you then end up speaking to lots of people and then lots of people push what you want to say and then things get dumbed mm. down a little bit and then by the time you've actually agreed to what everyone's quite happy with it's not really what you wanted to do in the first place and it all becomes analysis a bit, paralysis yeah a little bit but i but yeah so i don't know really that but yeah i'll just like is what it is obviously negatives is like oh, a bit shit but i was like oh, let's hope hopefully i'm proven wrong yeah bottom line is if i can't i can't we are where we are so how did it go then what my means, first job what's your review so, of it so the first Three months, we were not great. We were like mid-table and genuinely factual. We had probably either the biggest budget or the second biggest budget. Okay. We were we were mid-table. We played lovely football at the is time. This in the is this in the Super League or the Championship? No, this yeah, is in the, in the... No, this is, is in the third, third division. Oh, really? That's yeah, when you started third tier. Yeah, okay. third tier. And we played lovely football but couldn't score a goal. Yeah. And we had a striker. I still remember her name, Paige. And when she played, she was good. She didn't turn up a lot of the time. Didn't want to turn up, vice versa. Um, and then we changed manager around Christmas time. And Karen took over. She was also running the club at the time as well. And she did a phenomenal job. She was like GM and also manager. But you could was that be your decision? at that level. So yeah, so yeah, we, we decided to, to to part ways with Greg. Um, because it it wasn't it just wasn't working. You had to make that final decision. At yeah, yeah. Sixteen, seventeen. Yeah, years yeah. Old. And I think, to be honest, it just like just it wasn't working. And then we went on a big, long sort of unbeaten run, which sort of was was proof in the pudding. And we ended up winning two trophies that year, which was like the you know amateur level. You have like a league trophy, league cup, and all that. Yeah. Yeah, and then you have like a national league sort of like the I don't know what you call it, like the. Johnson Pates trophy or, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. or the FA trophy, almost yeah. similar to that. And we, we won, we won both of those that to, to like end the year. So we ended quite well. During all of that time was 
the women's super league at the time was restructuring. Yeah. So they were sort of like, we don't want clubs anymore that are going to go bust on us. Basically, we want clubs that can be because Notts County just like they folded. Yeah. Another club got very close to folding. I think another club a few years before did fold. So they were like, look, we need a robust. If we've got this, if we want to sell this to TV and we want this and we want that, we need this big thing that almost none of these clubs can fail type thing. We yeah, will need yeah, these yeah. clubs that financially can support their women's teams, can make sure that league is competitive to make sure that basically everything can push forward very, very quickly. Um, and we sat down with the FA and we were like, look, yeah, we, we're keen to do it. Us and Man United were the only people that really came forward and was like, yeah, we want to go full time. Was that how, were you driving that? Was yeah. that something that yeah. if you hadn't been in that position, yeah. West Ham might not have done? Yeah, hundred percent. Like not, uh, I I remember sitting down and meeting with everyone. Karen, but uh, it, it, it was the general manager. She was very big on it as well. And we, uh, we sat down and I remember sitting down with everyone at the club and you think it's a complete change though. You've gone from spending like, 50 grand a year on the women's team to then having to set aside a budget of like 1.5 million. Yeah. I don't know what, I don't know what our budget was our first year, but like the big increase, maybe even 2 million. It was around that sort of ballpark. And it was kind of like to sit everyone down and to get everyone's head around it. They were like, yeah, got big pushback. Right. That was from a lot of people at the club. And that's because they couldn't see the, the long-term payoff maybe in women's football? I'm not sure much sure it was the long-term payoff, but I think it was a little bit like we've got three months. We didn't have a long time. With it. Okay. So it was tight. It was like we've got three months. We're doing this quick and we're doing this. Um, and it's also a huge change. Like people don't like change. They like things to work quite orderly and or things go slow and progress. Yeah. So to be like, we're yeah, doing this yeah, yeah. and we're changing this women's team from 25 people paying, being paid. I don't know what it was. I'll make it up, but it was like 50 quid if you started on a Saturday and 20 quid if you turned up for training. It was saying as ridiculous as that. It was, I think it may have actually been that mm-hmm. to then be like, all right, we're now going to have 20 full-time professional footballers we're gonna ha- we're gonna bring in coaching staff. We're gonna bring in a, like a team of like a backroom of ten. We're gonna have to bring in actual people to look after the women's team in terms of media, this, that, and the other. I think after that first meeting, we explained it, and I was like, which was a lie to be honest, but I was like, Dad wants to do this. It's like you're cool, and then they all sort of jumped on board. Dad did want to do it, but he didn't tell me that. It wasn't like something I could have walked in the meeting with. <laughs> I was just like, half of it, I was like, Dad wants to do this. And then I was like, and which he did want to do. And he was, he was, uh, he's he's still big on, it's still got the potential to be a big part of the football club. Yeah, yeah, as yeah. it's growing year in, year out. And not only- Now it looks like an amazing decision. Yeah, and not not only that, but also to, to generate new fans, whether that's a kid who wants to come up, five who they don't think can sit through a whole men's game but can come watch a women's game and also there's also a, a huge new demographic emerging in, yeah, in yeah, football yeah. which is women have actually having role models and watching these things and you've got obviously got the emirates now being 60 like sixty thousand people go or 57 and a half gonna go watch arsenal women it's very important that 57 and a half yeah. is lower than the london <laughs> stadium um but um but yeah you've got uh so yeah so that that sort of happened we put together this big um, 
this big, um, I don't know what you'd call it, like a big, uh, like almost manifesto yeah. to what we were going to bring to the league. And we were like, we, basically it was like, we're going to bring loads more energy, new stuff you've never seen before. Um, we're going to be competitive and this is what we're going to do. Um, we signed Matt Beard, mm -hmm. who had won the Women's Super League and had just left his job in America. Um, and we put that as part of the manifesto. It was like, look, if you give us the license, we'll sign him the next day. So he's, before, he's you, so you just had a provisional chat with him? Yeah, he's verbally, yeah he verbally, verbally agreed. Okay. And then the FA were like, we'll let you know. And we're like, all right, well, it's not very helpful, but cheers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that sort of went on. And... Um, Man United also put in an application, I think, for the championship, but they never really told us. And the FA called us and they were like, uh, they called us the day after that we won at, we beat, I don't know who we beat, I think we beat Luton to win the FA Shield. Yeah. And the, um, and, uh, and they were like, they called Karen and Karen called me and she was like, We've done it. And I was like, okay, great. All right, well, now we've got eight weeks until training starts to, to be honest, put in a training facility because we didn't have any of that, which we already, we were like, all right, if that happens, this yeah, is what plan, has to yeah. happen, yeah. And we need to uh, sign Again, a lot of players, need to sign manager, need to do all that. So is this to go to the championship? Or no, this is going to the Super So you yeah, jumped, we skipped, stopped, yeah, we yeah, yeah, I remember, I remember, yeah. Yeah, so we, so we skipped the championship. And we went straight into the into the um, into the Super League. Um, and that's another really good example of like right place, right time. I think hundred percent. I don't think teams would be able to do that now. In no, the same no. Way. you got Newcastle no, no. sitting the same level as us. No, no, no. They they would not. They would not be able to do it. Hundred percent. And we were we were like, yeah, perfect, right place, right time. But that's the same. And I think that's a massive thing that a lot of people don't speak about in football. Like right place, right time is huge. Yeah. It's the same with a lot of players coming through. It's when there's a lot of injuries, they then get their chance or yeah, yeah, yeah. even with a manager being at the right place, like all of these things. Well, lucky, what is it? Luck is preparation, meeting, opportunity or whatever they say. It's like, and I think, I also there's think there's a lot well, of synergy with us. Like we, we got in at step six because there was a new step six league being created mm -hmm. in the area that we're from. If mm -hmm. there wasn't, would we have gone in at step seven? Would we have been put off by that? I don't know. You can never, you never know for sure. I also think you've got to grab the opportunity as well. Like if that opportunity becomes there, it's like, like shit, like this ain't gonna happen again. This could save us three years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's jump on that. Exactly. So we did that. We signed Claire Rafferty, signed mm -hmm. Jilly Flatty, signed Becky Spencer, I'm trying to think Leanne Kiernan, um, Kate Longhurst, uh trying to think of some other. You names. also had that Alicia Lehman. Yeah, Alicia Lehman. She's yeah. like the biggest she was, yeah, thing so ever yeah, in women's football now. So Alicia was like, yeah, one of our first signs came as like a, an 18 year old. Um and then during this sort of time um, a company reached out to to, um, to me actually via Chelsea Women because Chelsea turned it down and they were like, there's this company that want to film a series. Mm. They want to film a series of a, um, a, or a season of a, of a women's football team. And so sat down with them and... So they wanted to do one anyway before they knew about the angle of well, of Britain's youngest boss Yeah, I think Chelsea turned it down and then I think they wanted, they loved the idea of like a 17-year-old a kid basically running a football club. They That's what they loved. 
and they the first two episodes they've made me look like I still speak to them now, but they made me look like David Brent walking around, and it's just like it's horrendous. <laughs> but they love, I think they love that angle, and like they, but that's like that's what, and that was the opportunity again, like that, and that was another argument I had with the football club, which was like, and they're like, how are we going to do this? Are we going to we're going to we've got to give them loads of loads of things? What happens if something goes wrong? What happens if this happens? I'm like, look, like got like sometimes you got to back. Back our, it's like if you don't back ourselves that our I don't know our the way we ran a club is not good enough then yeah. we shouldn't be doing we shouldn't we should all go home now yeah yeah, yeah. so I was like look we've all got to back that and we've got to support that and then a huge a huge job as well was to also make the club sustainable which is still a huge job for yeah. for, for now and any any, any club any football club yeah um especially without huge broadcasting rights which weren't there at, which weren't there at the time so no. it was and that was my big job was to basically rise attendances, look after Matt and Russ, who who Russ took over when we when we a few months into when we moved into the women's super league as 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 GM and to make sure that that transition and that all ran very smoothly, but also to make sure that we were generating income that we said we'd generate to make sure that the club weren't or the men's club wasn't being footed with a massive bill. Yeah. They're being footed with a bill that they agreed to foot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That made sense. Yeah. Um so that all sort of happened, and then I was actually going going through some some old bits yesterday. And our first game was against Reading, and Reading about that the season before finished about mid table, and I was thinking like like if we lose like get tonked like seven nil today we've got serious problem, like could be fight well like could be whatever. This is basically a new team. Yeah, completely new created, team. Yeah. Been together eight like literally eight weeks. I think it was eight weeks. I think this preseason may have been six weeks, and it was kind of like right, well, what's going to happen? So that happened and we end up drawing nil-nil, like the most boring nil-nil you've ever watched. And I just remember feeling a huge sense of relief. I'm not sure everyone else probably thought, well, I've bought a season ticket for, but I felt <laughs> I felt a huge sense of relief that was just like, all right, shit, like, we're gonna be all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it was a, it was almost a sense that we bought in these 18 players and we're not miles off it. Then we went to Arsenal the week after and we lost four-two. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, thinking, not bad. That's all right. Yeah. Like, and Arsenal at the time, you don't see it quite as much now. But Arsenal, Chelsea, Man City, yeah, used to. Man City always have and still do. We always used to go there, and we'd go to all of them. And if you weren't one of those top three, you'd lose ten. Yeah, huge disparity. Like, yeah. Seven huge disparity. That yeah. disparity now, huge testament to everyone has become like that. And we'll yeah. st- probably will still lose, but it's no different to us going to. Or like I don't know Crystal Palace going to Man City or us going yeah, to yeah, Man yeah, City, yeah. like in the Premier League. Yeah, we'll we'll lose, but we'll put up a good go. It's a watchable game and it's good. And um, so it was all right. And then that season, obviously, I remember I don't know. It was weird. It was a weird feeling, and I had the same feeling last season about us getting to the final of the Conference League. And I just kept saying we're going to get to we're going to. I remember kept saying we're going to win the Conference League, going to win the Conference League, going to win the Conference League. And last season, I. I or that season, I remember kept saying we're going to get to the FA Cup final. I said, "Wait a minute, we'll get there." And I don't know whether that was. I it was it was weird. I don't know, and probably again, slight naivety. I was seventeen at the time, I think. And we just we were just the season went on, and we had like an okay season, wasn't great, but was safe and stayed up. And then this FA Cup sort of thing sort of took over a little bit, and we went and. Um, we played obviously Reading in the semi-final, and we won. 
there on penalties and we were shit. I think God was on our on our side that day. We won on penalties and there was a dodgy penalty that wasn't given and lots and lots and lots of other things. And we won on we won on penalties and there was there was I think there was like eight hundred West Ham fans that went to that semi final, and then we went to the got to the final, mm. which was an amazing day. Is the same day West Ham played Southampton, which yeah, I still yeah. think the the um, the, the, the FA need to yeah. the FA need that. to sort. It's it's ridiculous. They should pick it on an international break, or they should pick it on something that where it doesn't matter to make sure that that is yeah. all that the whole women's uh, the whole that football is looking at on that day needs to be that event. Agreed. In my opinion, if you're trying to promote something, that's how it needs to be. And we asked if we could move kickoff times. We could do this. We could do that. And I think. Obviously, from their point of view, they've sold a lot of tickets and they've done a lot of things, so they couldn't. But they, they, we ended up the kickoff time couldn't change, and we ended up losing three 0 to Man City. But it was uh, which is no no bad feat. No, to be no, honest. no. Like, that's, that, we actually kept lose... it very competitive yeah, to about remember, the 60th yeah. minute as well, and then I think as soon as that goal went in, it was kind of like everyone's heads just yeah, went yeah, down yeah. a little bit, which which was which was fair. But it was an amazing achievement, an amazing achievement. And I remember I went down and. Matt apologised to me in the in the tunnel at Wembley, and I was like, "What the fuck are you apologising for? Like, you've just given all of us the most amazing last year of 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 what we were doing, and there's even for like the sponsors that had backed me and also backed the team, and and um, one of the main sponsor at the time, his little girl walked out of Wembley, so mm. it was like an amazing, and I also think for us to and for for me quite selfishly to to go back to the men's side and be like, this is why we did it. Yeah. It was a great, like, all right, fantastic. Um, and then... Is that your proudest achievement, do you reckon, so far, in, in, <sighs> that you're directly kind of responsible for? I think directly responsible for, yeah. And I also think it's what you don't get with other sorts of businesses unless you sell it. You don't really get a... This is a because it was at Wembley and it was like a landmark sort of moment. My favourite moment during my whole time at the women's was us beating Reading in the semi-final. Mm. My second favourite moment was us beating Charlton at Averley. Great ground. In front, yeah, in front of about 500 people to win the, I don't know what trophy it was, I couldn't even tell you now, but it was it the sense of achievement to like win something that meant so much at the time to me is it's, it's a weird sort of feeling. And then probably my third favorite moment was, was the, was the oh. final. And it's a weird sort of sense of, of, I don't know, it was, but it was like an achievement and it was nice. And it was nice for me, that sort of thing to, and the biggest thing for me was, it was like a, a thanks to that. Obviously we, we couldn't control, but, a thanks to the staff, to the fans that had been with us and also the sponsors and everyone who had put so much time and energy into making it happen. Yeah. And that for me was, and it was also a great way for us to be like, all right, like we're here type Let's thing. Let's keep going. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So for us, like be honest, it was the easiest renewal conversations we've ever had to have with sponsors. It was the easiest renewals we've ever had to have with season holders because it was sort of like, you're now part of something. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Um, so what 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 brought your involvement with the women to an end then? What was the process? Yeah, so I suppose I, I, so. The next year we we got the third highest attendance in at the London uh, at the WSL at the time at the London Stadium. 
we did the breast cancer now sort of stuff with which we raised um over two years fifty thousand pounds yeah, for, the for pink breast cancer. I really kit. like that. Yeah, and a huge amount of awareness as well. Um, and then I think sort of as as time went on, I was sort of there, and I obviously took over when I was sixteen. Was in the WSL from when I was seventeen to twenty one, I think. Um, Matt left on my uh, two days off my twenty first birthday. And it was sort of, we brought in a new manager, which was Ollie, and we interviewed 50 people. A new general manager had just come in as well because Russ left for Leicester and Aiden had come in. And I sort of felt a mixture of there's a new general manager and there's a new manager. I always use the example that I built the house, but it was now time for someone to redecorate putting their own ideas and also for my own personal development I felt the need to move on because I either stay in I was 21 at the time and I thought all right I've done this for four years I can do this for another four years but is it best for me to say all right I can still help when I'm needed and if they call me and I still sit on a, a um a West Ham women's call every two weeks okay um and we like all the well, everyone sits in on it and I just sit in and give like bits of information or I'd do this or I wouldn't do this or we've tried that before. Um, but I just felt like it was time for me to be like, all right, well, I love football and football's amazing, but is it time for me to step away and go and learn other stuff mm -hmm. and learn how other businesses run and how other things work and work with other people and do other things and all of the above really. Um, and that's sort of why I thought it was time to to move on. Yeah. Um, and to be honest, they've they've uh, they've struggled a bit this year, but they've they've done they've done all right since and since I've left. And I think we've had a really good January, half expected because we knew in the summer we couldn't get the people we wanted, so we yeah, held. got some big names coming. Yeah. In, so we we held back in the summer to go in January, if that made sense. Yeah. Um, I still say we. And uh, <laughs> you should. As you and, should. Uh, and like, yeah, no, and I just felt it was time that there was new people, new ideas, and I felt like it was time that someone else could push it forward. And I also felt it was time that almost it was built enough that the men's side, which they've really done this year and they've done well, and you'll start to see in next year and the year after and the year after that, that, that it's now got commercial deals that can be big enough to be men's deals, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's now got commercial, it's now got, attendances that are now big enough to be league two sides. It's now yeah. got all of them. Like, we had to move grounds very similar to you. Like we moved from rush green yeah, because we really outgrew the facility to move to Dagner and Redbridge. And we signed a 10 year agreement there. That was, and then I, even that, even that I changed. And I just thought it was time where it was like, there was time for a new chapter, if that made sense, mm. which didn't involve me, if that made sense. And it's time to almost, it was built enough that it could survive on its own two feet. And what what's your because you're a director at West Ham now in general West Ham. Yeah. What's your like day to day now? Yeah. So to be honest, West Ham whenever I'm needed. So um, which is not a huge amount because it's all pretty pretty well ran. But I was I was at a dinner on Friday, um, introducing a few people that I thought could be helpful. I've got a meeting on Tuesday to do with a commercial deal. Um, 
obviously got the women's meeting on Tuesday as well. Um, and I'm, I'm obviously, my opinion gets asked, yeah. but if it gets listened to, probably not. Um, but, uh, but it's, I'm, I'm there if I'm needed type thing, if I'm needed to go. And to be honest, I've fucking loved going away in Europe with West Ham, like yeah. just as like a fan and to be part of that journey has been amazing. And to be able to travel with the team, which I've never done before until Europe, I've like all of that sort of stuff, like sort of pinch yourself moments as well. And to be able to take my friends on a lot of those trips has mm. been amazing as well. Like, like not bucket list stuff, but like crazy stuff, like, stuff couldn't even imagine like and to watch like to be honest i still get quite tearful now like on the european nights i just weird i forgot i'll turn soft but <laughs> it's like when i see like kids on the big screen and like their eyes just lit up and like the idea that we can go and make so many memories for so many people whether that's a father and a son a granddad and a dad and a son a mum and a, a daughter a wife and and her husband, whether that's women's, men's, yeah. all of those sorts of things and memories and also moments as well. It's been to, it's been to a member in, um, in our hospitality section and he was saying that the opportunity it's given to him and his dad to bond. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. He said they always struggle to bond and, and since they've been given the opportunity to get those seats. Yeah. It's given his dad can't walk, so he needed car parking and a few other things. And he said he, since he's been able to have those seats, it's given him and his dad such an opportunity to bond. And also he brings his kids as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So to have that like three generations really be able to bond and things like that. And I think that's what's so, so special about for when you push everything back away from results that are obviously so, so important and winning things and giving people those amazing memories those also bog standard memories of having a lukewarm pint and a <laughs> lukewarm pie, but watching West Ham, good and bad memories as well, like us losing in Frankfurt and all of that yeah. sort of type thing. That's what I think makes football so, so special. Um, it is, and, and listen, you deserve a lot of credit, you, your whole family, because those moments that we can all, as West Ham fans, you know, remember and, and bring to, to our, our mind have been empowered by what you do. I think particularly in the women's section, I think people that support the women's West Ham women's team now or whatever that team goes on to achieve in the future, which could be great, great things, right? No one can ever take away from the fact that if you didn't have the drive you had at that point in your life and you didn't have your own sort of, uh, your own reasons for wanting to advance in your career and learn things, you've pushed that team forward. And if you hadn't have asked those questions and said, look, I fancy doing that, didn't have that ambition, West Ham might have missed that opportunity to jump those yeah, divisions. I'd, I'm I'd, sure they'd have got there in the yeah, end. They I'd, would have. But. And I also think as well, like, huge credit to everyone around me at the time as well. They, yeah. they did they did a huge, unbelievable job, whether that's partners we've still got now, like Zio Skincare and people like that. And I, that was another amazing moment. We was away at Reading and I, and, and I got a phone call saying, oh, they've they've agreed the deal for, for Zio. And Zio is still a partner now. Um, and I remember at the time, I was like, fuck, this is a huge deal for, like completely transformed our fi finances in yeah. terms of way we could do and it meant we could sign players in January which wasn't possible without them and and it's it's that sort of thing where just changing change that idea and that's that's where I'm incredibly grateful although I was maybe the right place at the right time and I could the one thing I could do which was helpful and I think I could do things quickly and quicker than anyone else at the football club purely because of my position yeah, yeah which yeah. was 
I'm incredibly grateful for. And it meant that maybe people who have got better ideas than me or uh, or are better at me at it, more experience, yeah. maybe didn't get the opportunity. But wherever, I, but the one thing I did know, one thing I'm still very good at, is I know what I'm good at. I'm very quick at knowing what I'm good at and know what I'm not good at. Mm. And then therefore it's all right, well, how do we make sure that I'm doing what I'm good at? Yeah. Someone else doing what they're good at and that, and to be very open and honest and transparent. And I think that was the big change that probably when I was 18 to when I left the women's team was, and it naturally progressed, but it was like a listening to others became or, or even younger than eight, but starting to listen to others and take people's opinions and then and then make a decision and make possibly a lot of the time a more logical decision. Sometimes when things you haven't even thought about, other people think about, and you know, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And then that's when you can start to make, make better decisions. But, but it's a skill to be able to listen to that stuff. It's not something that, that can everyone can do or some people have to learn it. But I mean... I think what you're on is you're on like a accelerated path of of learning these lessons, which is great to see. I think it's really exciting to see where your career goes and what you end up doing. I mean, is the plan long term for you? I know you've got supply life and I want to talk about that in a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, but is the plan for you to be in that sort of executive position in, in men's football or West Ham particularly or another club? Or what, what's the roadmap? Um, to be totally honest with you. Hopefully, well, hopefully West Ham and we are like we want to be at West Ham for for a long time. Like that's where we want to be. That's where we feel that, and we still feel like there's a lot of unfinished business at West Ham. We still think we can we can push it forward. Um, but Karen's doing a great job, and like Tim's doing a great job, and that's, new this year, isn't he, Tim? Uh, yeah. yeah, and that's that's potentially why I moved out of football as well because there was no real Nathan on the commercial side. Karen before doing a fantastic job. Joe in hospitality is doing a great job. Tara in marketing is doing a great job. Gavin and Kerry doing a great job in retail. So I, that's potentially why I moved out of football because there wasn't necessarily an easy transition for me into the wider football club. Yeah. Unless it was as a director of sitting in this sort of sort of role when I'm needed type thing. Yeah. Which is great and I'm very happy to do that and it's given me the opportunity to go and do loads of other stuff. But I'm I'm not not here to push my way in if someone's doing, if people are doing great jobs. And that is what would, that's what people would probably, that don't understand the situation, probably would throw at you. They'd think that like, that is what you were doing, but that clearly isn't the case. Like, you know, if you were just that guy that was out purely for himself, ultimately it's clear that West Ham's best interest that you're, is what you care about because you would just go, well, you know, I own the place, mate. I'll take that job, I'll take that job. And there's probably loads of examples of where that has happened, right? Mm-hmm. And no one could stop you. No one could say anything. And my view on like, people use the word like nepotism and all this sort of thing. Like my view is I don't care how people get the job. Are they good at it? That's my view. Now, of course, in society, we need things like, we do need, you know, equal opportunities and we need, you know, diverse uh diverse opinions and perspectives and i'm all for that 100 percent. but with a case like yours it's so specific you know this is your family club this is something that you guys have such a better understanding of naturally than anyone else's so that inherently in my opinion does make you more qualified in many ways for the role as long as you're good when you get there so that's why my view is and that's not a jack thing that is a general thing like Someone gets in their jobs. I know when I used to do comedy, there'd be comedians that would get a leg up and start doing gigs they maybe hadn't earned yet. I'd be like, okay, but is he funny? Or is she funny? If they're good, they're making yeah, everyone like, laugh yeah, and I, they're doing a good job. I don't know. It's, it's a difficult one as well. I get asked the question a lot like, um, 
I don't know, do you think like you got there because and like do you think you got there because your dad was like the obvious fucking answer is yes. Like I was not like let's not shy away from it. But the bottom line is a lot of, like if you get an opportunity or a job, then I always turn around and say, You're fucking crazy if you turn around and go, Oh, I shouldn't get it because if you get a leg up or you get a chance and fucking take and you it. think you can do exactly. it, take it, jump at it, and don't be embarrassed because you've got given that opportunity. Then it's all about what you do when you're there. And if you're shit, then you've also then got to be honest enough to yourself and to everyone and be like, I can't do this. The best example, and it's one that's specific to our club, is Frank Lampard, right? Frank Lampard, I know he still divides opinion from West Ham fans, right? Which I think is a bit crazy, personally. When he came in at West Ham, and yeah, maybe he wasn't... He actually got a good goal-scoring record for West Ham, if you look at it, in his younger years. But there's a lot of West Ham fans and there's people calling him Fat Frank and all this stuff and saying all these things... And Harry Redknapp did that famous speech. You know, he will go to the very top. You know, yes, he's his uncle, whatever. So even then, people probably thought, oh, he's just saying that. Look at what Frank Lampard did in his career. Are you telling me we wouldn't have been better off if he'd stayed at West Ham? That he was more or less driven out because fans felt there was this element of nepotism there, which clearly he earned his place. And he's one of the best Premier League footballers of all time. Certainly midfielders, certainly goalscoring midfielders. So, like, just get in whatever way you can get in. And then be good. And that's when you silence the doubters. And I think you, you've done that, you're, you're, what you did at the women's team, clearly. Uh, like I said before, I'm really excited to see what the future holds. Um, we've got some closing questions I want to talk to you about. But before we do that, I do want to talk about supply life. Now, before you guys think this is some little thing we're weaseling in here, I've got a bit of history of supply life. That's why I want to talk to you about it. So, supply. How do you, first of all, describe what supply life is. It's just a, uh, I don't know, I feel like I'm pitching Yeah, it. do it to the camera. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but supply life is like a food intolerance test. Yeah. Um, it was actually the re reason I got involved with Supply Life is food intolerance test if you're suffering from like bloating, IBS, um, uh, migraines, feeling tired after food, food comas, which is like a big thing, especially off the po off the back of Christmas and New Year, feeling lethargic, all of these brain fog, all of these sorts of things that a lot of people feel. And like we always say like post, post lunch slump, all of mm. these sorts of things or belly aches. A lot of people don't, IBS is like flatulence, um, diarrhea, constipation, all these sorts of things that people think are just normal after yeah. eating a pizza or doing this, doing that. We're saying like, no, f food should be used as fuel. Yeah. And if you're not using it as fuel and you're feeling tired after something's wrong and that's probably the food you're eating is not right for your body. Yeah. Um. So we're sort of on a mission. We actually did it. We tested all of the... um. The reason I got involved before I was even involved was they tested all the women's team. Yeah. And I suffered from eczema at the time. And they said, look, this this will be able to help with your, with your eczema if you cut out the foods it tells you to. And I cut out those foods. And within um, within three weeks, my eczema went. Wow. And I was like, fuck, this is great. Like, amazing. Like, I went to the doctors four times. They just get keep giving me creams and et cetera, et cetera. And not really getting to the root cause of the problem. Mm, mm. Um, which were uh which was certain foods and um and then about when i left the women's team i was like look i'd like to do something I'd like to run my own business but alongside that I'd, like i'd also like to help people i just i like i left a women's team that hopefully inspired a lot of people and did this and i thought if i could go and do something that can that can go and help people i told my dad about five or six ideas he's like they're all shit and i was like, <laughs> like cheers thanks and then um and then I was Can you like, tell us any of them or not? What I don't know. I still, think, I still quite like some of them. So I'll keep a few yeah, close keep to the my good chest. Ones. <laughs> um, but like, um, and he was like, that's going to cost, that's going to be too hard to do. That's going to cost too much money. That's going to do this. That's going to be. And he was like, do you know anyone 
who you think's got like a nice business that might just need your help to like push it all forward. I was thinking, I don't know, I'll have a thing, I'll have a thing. And the supply life sprung to mind. I was like, look, they, they've helped me. If they can help me, they can help thousands and thousands of other people. And it's definitely with the diets that we eat now, everything's like so on the go. Everything's like uh, processed mm -hmm. and this and that, where I was like, look, if, if we can, if we can help people that, that that's like even better. And then, so I spoke to them was like, look, like they're like, yeah, we like not really thought about it, but we, we potentially would look at, look at something. So I was like, yeah, cool. So they came from Swansea. They're based in Swansea came to, um, came to my, like, my house in Thaden with, with dad and sat down and we all, uh, we all spoke. And then at the end, uh, sat, went away. I was like, can you send me some numbers, looked at everything and then sent them over, over a proposal, which they negotiated very well. And <laughs> I, uh, I, and then, and then I got involved and then similar to the women's, to be honest, for like about the first three months, it was a bit like shit, it's a bit, bit touch and go and like struggling to, find our niche and like, or not so much our niche, like we are the best food intolerance test. We're the only CE marked lab. We're like the, the football clubs and athletes that use us like with microarray technology. Like we are like the champions league of food intolerance testing compared to some of these like hair samples and these mm. other blood based ones that to be honest with you, don't tell you anything. It's definitely, yeah. especially the hair ones. Well, I'll, they, I'll tell you about my experience. Yeah. So, so for me, so actually Lewis, who works for us here, he did one and he he found it really useful. And I was always I was always fascinated with this stuff. I've always been really into like what, what I eat and keeping fit and all that. But I've been on a bit of a journey probably the last 18 months or so. And it did start with Supply Life, like genuinely. So Lewis recommended me do it. I did it. I wanted to like, without going into too much detail, you know, I'd like to reduce the amount of time I spent on the toilet, basically. So I was like, right, let's get on Supply Life. And um, did my intolerance test. It's like a little prick finger prick test that comes in it takes a little bit of blood from your thumb i think it was yeah and you send it back super quick super easy and you get this uh this report and it's like color marked you know this is red do not eat this food it's not good for you and that's not that's specific to you that's not like you might be able to eat it you have no mm -hmm. problem but for me there were certain ones i need to, to to leave there was yellow which is like yeah it's not ideal but you can get away with it green eat as much of it as you like sort of thing and a lot of it I already knew. A lot of it I was like, yeah, I, I could have told you that would have had an issue with me. There's a couple of things in there which like rocked my world, like peanuts, for example. Like, I love peanut butter. I used to eat tubs of peanut butter as a kid, which is probably not advised. But I was like, well, I know I've got issues. What do I, eat? I have loads of peanut butter. I used to probably have peanut butter on a bagel like four or five times a week in the morning. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, let's try cutting that out. Fascinating stuff like it said, potatoes, don't eat potatoes, but eat sweet potatoes. So I was like, okay, well, I like sweet potatoes. That's not a problem. Easy change. And the results were instant. I think the other thing joke. we, yeah, the other thing we try and do is we offer like a call with a nutritionist. We offer, yeah. um, we offer meal plans, all of that sort of stuff as well. And I think for, I don't know, for us, like proofs in the pudding, like we've had, I don't know, 10 Olympians try it. Uh, we'll use it this year. We've had three Premier League football clubs use it, use it last, uh, or I say this year, twenty twenty three. Yeah. So like that for us is is test testimony to, to 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 how we're doing. But yeah, no, it's been it's been incredible. And then also investing in a few other sorts of businesses as well. Just started a property development company. Nice. Um, recruitment company. Let's know if you want to invest in any stadiums. <laughs> <laughs> tech Tech Fueled as well as like um automotive recruitment company. Nice. And then just always always looking at other uh, care homes as well. Twelve. 12 care homes me, Dave and dad have, have got as well that we, we work on. Um, 
Um, so you've got so, a yeah. lot to keep you busy. Yeah, a lot to keep you busy. And to be honest, like, just I think it's so important to just keep expanding your mind and stop thinking you know all the answers to everything. I think as soon as you do that, you, you're going backwards. Yeah. And so you, but you think change. one day we'll, we we may see you in a in a more senior role at West Ham? You yeah, I'd love, to, I'd, I'd love to go back uh, whenever whenever I'm needed or I'm called upon. Yeah, well, that's um, good to hear. Yeah. Right, let me close out with a few questions for you. So, uh, actually, before I get into them, one thing you mentioned earlier, I'd love to get your thoughts on. You were talking about the um, Sunderland dock. What were your thoughts as, a, as you know, someone involved in the ownership of a club with what Sunderland did before the derby the other day with the redecoration of the stand? Did you see this? Yeah, yeah. I'd, uh, I don't want to speak without knowing the full facts. No. Um, no, they are. So to, to, for someone listening doesn't know, they redecorated part of the away end for specifically for the, the Tyneside Derby, if you like, the Sunderland Derby, uh, Newcastle Derby, massive game. And they, they sort of put some Magpies references and they changed the spelling of the Hawaii, the lads, which is the way the Geordies say it and all yeah. this sort of thing. The owner then came out and sort of came and said, this wasn't my doing. He said he took responsibility for it, which is fair enough. But he said someone, maybe people underneath me didn't quite understand the tribalism of football, etc. Yeah, no, and I, I think, um, like, look, it's a real difficult one. I'd, Would you ever I, I can, put I, Millwall no, decorations up obviously, like, obviously, like, like, obviously not, but I, like, we, we've been in around it. I think what's tough, you can't beat someone who's been at the football club a long time that understands how it works. Like, we've now got a lot of our main senior staff and even staff under them have been at the football club 10 plus years. Yeah. You cannot beat that because they live and breathe it. They understand it. They know not only how the business side works, but also how the supporters work, how everything works. They know what's needed, what's not needed, how all that works. And you can't beat that sort of guide and vision. I, from a standpoint of owning a football club, could see someone, and it's incorrect, but I don't know, and I'll make this up, but a safety officer who is new to the football club who maybe has come from a rugby background i don't know mm. i'm using an example yeah. that turns around and says your way is going to get smashed up if you leave all this up mm. you need to change this to make sure your way end doesn't get smashed up to make sure because it wasn't just the away end because obviously they had the whole yeah, they, had yeah, the whole, yeah. they had moved a lot of the season guards because the fa cup they go from having 10 percent of the allocation or five percent of the allocation to having 15 percent of the allocation so maybe someone said that and someone said, all right, well, maybe we can preempt that by doing this, that and the other. They but also... would the middle ground not be just make it neutral? Well, I think the middle ground is just to leave it and just see what happens. I, yeah. I think I think a lot of the time, I don't know this is saying else, but I think a lot of the time these safety officers or whatever you want to call them, they have to almost, it sounds terrible, but they have to like justify what they're doing a little yeah, bit. Yeah, so yeah. so they, they're like ultra protective in case the worst happens. But I think that's when you turn around and you've got to turn around and safety office is probably not the right word because obviously fan safety is super, super important. You've got to make sure everyone exits well, everyone, and no one deserves to get beaten up or this no. or that. But but whether it's something like that, that's when I think someone just needs to say, all right, this is again where I think it's really important. Get everyone's opinion and then you then make a decision. Either you say, look, we're going to crack on or we're going to cover it up for, yeah, for, yeah, the, yeah. for the for the game if we if we're that worried. Or, or we just turn around and say, look, this is the ground. This is it. This is what it is. And I think, to be honest, most and we go back to the to the one percent or the ten percent, ninety five percent of people or ninety nine point nine percent of people are very normal people that go to football. You may yeah. have one zero point zero one percent that are going to smash something up or do this or do that. Um, but 
Yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to speak out of turn. And I, I don't understand the situation. I can but, see how the idea was suggested in a room. Yeah. I just can't understand how the powers that be then approved it. But yeah, I think we're on the same page. And I think that's why I asked you. It's really interesting to see your context because there is so many meetings and things where these things would get brought up that the average fan would never know. What I really find hard to believe about that one particularly is not only is it a massive derby, it's a derby that Sunderland were always likely to lose. And we talked about it earlier with this fear of innovation at football clubs. Like the, the people that want to innovate the least are people that are losing or at risk of relegation or at risk of, you know, if you innovate, you do something different and then you lose after. It's like if if a footballer does a YouTube video and then they lose three on Saturday, it's like, oh, stop, get off YouTube. You know, it's the first thing the fans will say. You've done something different and it's made you lose the game. Many times, most of the time, that won't be related, but it gives them ammunition. So Sunderland were basically giving people ammunition to come after them when they were almost certainly going to lose the game anyway because Newcastle are a stronger side, right? Incidentally, actually, I used to do a series um, where I used to go to derbies and we'd make little documentaries about the derbies and I went up to that back derby when I think they were both in the Prem many years ago, probably about 10 years ago, and I actually saw the two firms have a big ruck and I saw people literally get their heads smashed in at that game right outside St. James's Park. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow, that's probably the only actual physical like meeting of two uh, hooligan firms basically I've seen at Sunderland Newcastle and it was... Naughty, so I was. So I can see why they were trying to stop that. And I'm sure. I'm sure the police, like the the police, would have been. Yeah, there would have been huge volumes. And we we even against Bristol City with with the police on the on the weekend. And it's yeah, like, yeah. especially when they've got that big of an allocation, there'd been a lot of people panicking, and a lot maybe also a lot of people that haven't been in that position before. Yeah, yeah. Let's yeah. say they're new. Yeah. I don't know. You can see how it happened. But but yeah, that you go from having an attendance of I don't know what what. Let's say it's twenty thousand. I don't know what Sunderland's average is. I think they get the good. Yeah, they're big on yeah, yeah, but it's but then to go from that to having like us versus like it's even the same as us versus Millwall. Yeah, I think there are going to be, unfortunately, there are going to be mistakes made. But that's probably where someone needs to step out of line and understand. I think Darren Bent did it really, really well on uh, on Talksport. He spoke about when uh, I try and think of the old Sunderland owner. I can't think of his name, but he had Nigel uh, Nigel Quinn next yeah. to him. Niall Quinn, yeah. Niall Niall Quinn, Quinn, yeah. Niall Quinn next to him. And he said whenever he had something, he would go to him yeah. and he'd be able to give an answer. Yeah. Because Niall Quinn had lived and breathed Sunderland for such a long time. He yeah. really, really, really understood it. And that's where I think it's so... And I think we've got that again now at West Ham. Possibly when we move stadium, some of those staff, we brought in lots of new staff and that yeah, transition yeah, yeah. where you can't beat people who really understand the environment and understand how people think and how football fans think and also how your fans think because every fan base is very different. Yeah. If that was probably, I don't know, it's not to be very nice this, but like this is like, you know, Brighton Palace. Brighton fans, yeah, less Brighton fans seem a little bit, yeah, they seem a little bit more, they wouldn't kick off as much as yeah. maybe a... It's a weird derby that one yeah. anyway, isn't it? Yeah, like, and yeah. it's also it's also possibly as well with it being where you said it's not happened for such a long time. Everything heightened, and yeah. Sunderland coming as huge underdogs as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything's heightened even even more as well. No, it's good. It's good feedback. And what you said then again links to what we've talked about in this podcast, which is, you know, people that've been around the club a long time. That's why I've always been in favour of like your guys' involvement and hopefully continued involvement because you get the club. You've been there a long time. You not only has your family got experience of doing other clubs as well. You, you know, West Ham fan. Like you, you grew up as a West Ham fan, right? Even mm -hmm. when you're at Birmingham, I'm sure you're yeah. supporting Birmingham on your yeah. own, of course. But like. Why would you want, this isn't even the right phase, but 
if someone was unhappy with ownership, I would still say like better the devil you know. Like you don't know what the next person coming in is. And there's always there's always a chance. Let's be honest. There's always a chance I West Ham could be under new owners one day. Someone could come in with a crazy bid. I think West Ham is one of the most investable clubs in the world right now because you think about the up, the upside. Like I think we're a huge club. Obviously, I think we have great attendances. We're always at the top of. The, the charts of the terms of regular attendances in Europe now, like, you know, certainly in England, the number is undeniable. That's your guys doing. You know, it's ve- I know we sold a large section to uh, the Czech guy uh, a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. but there is always a chance that someone, be it a Qatari or whoever, comes in and goes, London-based, that's the club for me, and puts in a silly offer. And there'd probably be a segment of the fan base that would like that because inherently usually links to huge success on the pitch if some big mm-hmm. royal family come in or whatever. So I don't think anyone... I'm, I'm basically saying... I think if if your family stay involved in West Ham for a long time, that's a great thing because of who you guys are and what you've done. But equally, if you don't, I can imagine that will be because the people coming in potentially represent a lot. I think of we've growth. always said that as well. We said as soon as as soon as someone comes along who we think can do a better job than us, then we 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 are the stewards to for for our period of time but we still think there's a lot of work we can do to yeah. push push everything in the right direction. And no one can argue with the job you have done. Right, closing questions. Um, obviously we want, we're doing this podcast. We want to find out how to run a football club. That's me selfishly trying to find out the best way to run my club as well and get advice from people like yourself. You've done it at a much higher level. Um, but from your experiences, have you got any regrets or anything you've done, been involved in that you'd have done differently had you had the time again? Yeah. My one regret is, uh, well, not one regret, but, uh, where I think it's important to have a pretty open dialogue with the, with the, uh, with the first team, with the players, with the players from the ownership level. Mm. Okay, I think I think it's important that whether it's you or whether it's someone very close to you, so they have a connection between the f- between the players and the boards. Whether it's it doesn't have to be all the time. It's not like every week, but just that there's a there's a solid connection and, and you speak, whether that's you speak to the captain every week and say, is there on once a month and say, is there any problems? And the one that you can't get caught up in, which is difficult and it's a difficult mix is my boots weren't cleaned and this, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. but yeah. you've also got to put your head above the parapet a little bit that, and also if they're going to, at some point, if you get too close to them, they're then going to be speaking about the manager to you. Mm. And if you've got a good relationship with the manager, it's how you sort of can, don't undermine yeah. them, yeah. Yeah, and so so it's a mixture of that. But I think it's important to have a be a little or close ish to the to the to the players, but also obviously and close to everyone. I think I think that's important that and they can see how much you care. I think yeah. if if they don't see that, then it's very difficult. Obviously they can motivate themselves, they've got money, they've got their own ambitions, they've got their own goals, but I think it's it's important to have that connection, which I don't think at the women's team I ever really got right, to be honest. Right, interesting. Because that's one thing for me, so different with Hashtag Club. We were literally created with my mm. mates. So I had an amazing connection mm. with the first original team. Mm-hmm. Then we got better and I kept that connection, not not as long as friendships there, but I, I was very friendly with the mm. players. But I think I became a better uh, chairman, if you like, when I had kept them at arm's length a bit more. But that's probably because of where I started from. I started from Yeah, such a I think closeness. it's a mixture of both. I think you don't want to be someone who no one ever sees. Yeah. And you don't want to be someone who's everyone's best friend because if you're everyone's best friend, exactly, yeah. it becomes a very complicated relationship. But I think a mixture of a mixture of saying like that, which I don't think I ever really got quite right at the. Um, so if we see you back in at West Ham or somewhere else another day, you know you're you're going to try and keep that. Yeah, I do, I, to be honest, me personally, I'm like I always sit there and think, 
but he doesn't want to speak to me. So like, if you want to speak to me, come speak to me. Like that's mm. always how I think. And I always, I'm quite like shy. But what about shy, going things like, like going in the changing room and things like that? Because nah, I always that. shy no, away from I that. I think, I think no. I think changing room's their space. I think the training ground's their space. I'm very big on that. You go into their house if yeah. you do that. And it's the same with the change rooms. The change rooms, what they, that's their manner, in yeah, my yeah. opinion. I agree. I that's agree. for them to deal my with. My brother will often go in the change room and I'm like, get out of the change room because Seb just does what he wants. He doesn't care. And I'll be <laughs> like, I Seb, think... I haven't gone in that change room in like three years and you're walking in there what, doing all this. What West Ham have started to do, and I think they've worked quite well, is they've done like, I think the players do their own thing, but they, they have like a Christmas party where they have, there's like a staff one, obviously like business staff. And then there's like a football staff, football players, board yeah and they i don't know where they go they i think they went to some mexican the other week and then they went to watch a show or whatever and that's quite a nice mutual sort of connection where and they can bring their partners and they can bring this and they and it's like a it's not forced it is a bit forced but not massively forced and yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. a mixture of mixture of mixture of all of that really nice um yeah so if i was to ask you then to give me like one word like i've spoken to a lot of different people like uh big g was talking about culture and like understand similar to what you're talking about in the sense of he liked the clubs he'd been at the Saturday teams he'd played at he preferred the ones where he felt he, he knew what they were trying to achieve and he felt a connection to the owners and things like that you know um Scott Scotty Pollock was talking very much about the managers um their ability to create a an environment that was healthy for everyone and players felt that they could play for that manager like if I was to say to you Give me one word to add to my little mood board of what makes a good club that I can apply a hashtag. What would that word be? It's sort of a sentence, but sort of know where you've come from as well. I think that that sort of to know what you're good at and to stay good at that. Yeah. I don't know what that is. So I should keep making FIFA videos. But like, no, but like, <laughs> but like, don't don't change what's made you good. Like, yeah. Maybe history could be part of, part of that. Yeah, whether yeah. that's a short term history, whether that's the last six games or the last whatever. I think it's important that you keep and and also what's gone wrong as well. I think that's really important. Something that's never spoken about in football is I don't know, redemption in, in some sort of words. But if someone makes a mistake, obviously my dad's saying reputation lags behind reality. And I think that's really, really important. Mm. And and I think it's important to, to to remember that as well. But I also think if you have made a mistake, that's gonna be on your back for a long time, fine. But can you change and can you when that comes up again make sure you don't do the same one again yeah and i think that's not really answer question but i think history history is important and i think to make sure you good and bad learn from learn from both sides there's that saying about history isn't there um i can't think what's, what it is but it's all about remembering what worked well and what didn't work yeah. well in in the past yeah i mean i think history is such an interesting word as it pertains to the hashtag because i in the traditional sense that we don't have a lot of it, we're young. And so some people, detractors might say to us that makes us weaker. You know, it certainly makes it harder for us to get big attendance and things like that. And we don't have a, a huge trophy cabinet that goes back a hundred years. We've got a pretty decent trophy cabinet for the last six or seven years. But equally, I think our lack of history also keeps us flexible and it means that we means can do you can things. pivot very quickly. And yeah. you talk about remembering where you come from. Well, we came from this online YouTube world. We're still very much part of that. Let's not, throw that out in the baby out with the bathwater just to get a football ground or maybe, just to, you know, whatever we think. Maybe a word is unique. Remember what makes you almost unique. Yeah, identity. And what makes, yeah, identity. That's that, and that, that may be, maybe it. But yeah, a mixture of, I don't know, you put two up there. 
<laughs> more words the better uh jack thank you very much for coming i genuinely really appreciate it you know we've known each other for a long time you're a good friend of mine you came down and commentated hashtag with me in our first season in non-league at wormley away like i've always massively appreciated that and you've made a quite a few of my west ham dreams come true as well which i massively appreciate so you, you have got a fan in me you've got a supporter in me i look forward to seeing what you do next outside of football and inside of football. Uh, if anyone watching does like the sound of what we talked about, genuinely do recommend Supply Life. I used it and it's changed my whole... Like, I, I, I'm basically as fit as I've ever been right now, genuinely, and I'm as healthy as I've ever been. And that started with the Supply Life journey. I started taking much more interest in what I eat, which then made me feel healthier, which meant I started to be healthier and go to the gym more and all these things. And it genuinely started with Supply Life. So links in the description if you want to get involved in that. And... Uh, and in, without any other words, I'll just say, don't go changing, mate. Nice to see you and see you next time. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. Good man.